Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, January 26, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Rev. Good morning. With the Eagle has landed. I mean, I've given fair warning for a couple of weeks, and I started looking a little foolish by saying that something's about to happen, and it didn't happen until yesterday. An NIL bill got read across oh, the desk. And um, you're telling maybe, me something maybe the day I didn't before know. yesterday. Anyway, there's an NIL bill in the Senate and the House, and I always look at the sponsors to see whether it has a chance to get passed or not. It does. I mean, these bills are very um, widely supported by Republicans, Democrats, Tiger legislators, Gamecock legislators. That's right. There are Gamecock legislators. There are Tiger legislators that um that kind of guard the fence post for their respective um, universities. One of the oddity I talked a little bit about it last week. One of the oddities is if you got if you're undergraduate from Clemson, but you wanted to be a lawyer, didn't want to go out of state, play all that out of state tuition, you can go to Charleston or Columbia. A lot chose uh, USC Law School. So you've got a degree from Clemson and a degree from the University of South Carolina. I have found, Rev, the majority of those folks identify as Tigers. You hardly ever win one over in, uh, in the time they spend in, in law school. But I did look at the, uh, the text of the bill. There's some ambiguity there. I think it's very intentional. Um, I don't know how far down the road the legislator, the General Assembly wants to go in clearly defining what Clemson, Carolina, and Coastal can do in the NIL space. And maybe that's the intent, is to be ambiguous and to say, well, I mean, we left that a bit open-ended. That's at the university's um, discretion. It's kind of a um, it's a three-legged stool. You've got the university, you've got the booster club, and you've got the collective. And the NCAA says certain things can't happen within those three legs of that stool. The NIL bill says, oh, but it can. It certainly can. Um, why? Because these are our universities. I mean, they're public universities in the state of South Carolina. Obviously, they get federal money. There's no doubt about it. The majority of student debt is backstopped by, well, it's not backstopped anymore. It's, um, it's, it comes out of a pot of taxpayer dollars, to be honest with you. Um, so it's not the guarantor, but rather the issuer of the, uh, of the debt. So the federal government, I would imagine at some point in time, some liberal Democrat will request the federal government to federalize NIL legislation. Uh, it's a big deal in our part of the world. Um, I believe Missouri and Ole Miss and Florida, their three general assemblies were very proactive in creating situations that allowed their universities to be better at NIL than um, the Gamecocks or Tigers. It's not passed. I would imagine, I mean, I'm looking at the calendar, June Maybe May. I mean, it could be late May. Um, I don't think there'll be a lot of ah, disagreement, but it's not going to be priority. I mean, it's not going to, hey, let's stop with the budget for a week and work on this NIL bill. You know, let's stop with education for a week and work on the NIL bill. Let's stop with transportation for a week and work on the NIL bill. I mean, I can't imagine it being that important, but it's there. It's um, It's been read across the desk. As we like to say in politics, they dropped the bill today. They dropped the bill yesterday, and I would imagine there'll be some degree of debate. Uh, Jay Jordan, Philip Lowe, and Mike Rickenball will be here. I want to get their takes on, but not not their opinions, but but rather what committees it in. How long do you see it taking to come out of committee? What is the sense of urgency 
in the in the body about you know creating some. You ready? Ambiguous clarity. That's <laughs> <laughs> government. Well, I mean, ambiguous clarity on on what Clemson and Carolina can do. I do know this: the Tigers believe that they have an advantage in Booster Club. Uh, Ipte funds itself in a very different way than the Gamecock Club. There. Uh, I mean, it's just moving money around. I mean, it's accounting is what it is. It's kind of, um, you know, clerical in nature. But um, but but as a Gamecock fan, and I got to be a homer here, as a Gamecock fan, the biggest advantage we have over Clemson is television revenue. I mean, that's the biggest advantage. That's, that's the pot of money that gets bigger this year and creates some disparity between Clemson's pot of money. I mean, Clemson will do just fine. I'm not suggesting that they won't, but the distinct advantage South Carolina has over Clemson is the television revenue. And it goes from 57, 58 million a year to nearly 80 million, 76, 77, 78 million. Um, the, the SEC and Big Ten are kind of in an arms race. The SEC gets a better television deal until the Big Ten, you know, um, negotiates their next television deal. They get a little bit better deal. The SEC comes back in the next seven year negotiation. And theirs goes from I think one's at about eight hundred eighty million, the other's about one point zero five billion. I think the the word is when Oklahoma and Texas come to the SEC, it's north of a billion. Uh, but you still got Southern Cal, UCLA, Oregon, Washington coming into the into the Big Ten. So I would imagine they'll, they'll renegotiate, saying we're bringing more value to the table, we're bringing more subscriber units, eyeballs is what they're is what they're talking about. But um, as a Gamecock fan, I've always wanted an NIL bill that created flexibility with the television revenue because I felt that gave South Carolina uh, not a pretty distinct advantage. Um, I mean, you know, Clemson's made up some of the um, some of the deficit by just incredible fundraising with Ipte. I mean, give them credit where credit's due. Um, creating a sense of urgency within their fan base. Hey, th- th- those damn Gamecocks that we've beaten all, all of your lives, we're not going to keep beating them. I mean, if they have 40 or $50 million a year more, and then we have, it's going to get harder and harder to beat those, those dadgum Gamecocks if we don't have, you know, the necessary resources. And they've really increased the funding of IPTA. I mean, I know that because I got buddies that um, are very involved in Clemson, and they'll tell me um, some of that. I'm not saying that the Tiger legislators won't sign up for a bill that allows NIL to be funded. And this is where the ambiguity, uh, the ambiguity comes in. It doesn't say clearly that you can take the television revenue, but it kind of leaves it open-ended. And that's my interpretation of the, of the legislation. But once again, um, it, it'll get debated in some of the subcommittees. And uh, will it be amended? I would imagine. I mean, I would imagine somebody somewhere will try to amend it in some way, shape, or form. But all the General Assembly is doing is creating a degree of superiority over the NCAA. But the NCAA says this about NIL. The General Assembly says nothing, except if you're in Missouri, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, or the state of Florida. Um, They were very proactive. Give them credit. Uh, They they basically, I mean, I'll give you an example. In Missouri, the legislation was so aggressive in Missouri, Florida State got in trouble with a kid. they, They got in trouble, some sort of NIL shenanigans. They got in trouble with a kid. Had that situation happened in Missouri, Missouri basically had it covered. I mean, they, they, I mean I'm telling you, I, I would have taken the Missouri legislation and just created a blueprint. I mean, it, it was that good. And the proof's in the pudding. 
They are killing it mm-hmm. in the transfer portal and NIL era of, uh, of college football. In the biggest sport in America, had a big game last night. Right, Rep? Uh, I watched it, actually. We, we, we debate. I did. Josh. I did. Swap places with him. <laughs> I, I don't want him. So- you watched a women's basketball game? I did. You know How I, much? Uh, most of it and to the end. Josh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Put him in the other room. He's tainted. <laughs> oh, man. You watched a, a women's basketball game in its entirety? Can we agree there's really nothing on TV these days? And I was there's looking. reruns of Seinfeld somewhere. <laughs> but there's you know. reruns of Seinfeld somewhere. Hey, admittedly, I've been about as critical as you have and have been about as dim- dismissive as you have about women's basketball. Um, it was a good game. It was a it was fun to watch. Was it and, college? Yeah. Was, the Lady, Lady Gamecocks Game, and the, the Lady Tigers of LSU, the defending national champions. And I guess, I mean, Ref can tell better than I. I mean, I, I guess the two best college basketball coaches outside of Gino Ariema, right? I mean, couldn't we I say that? Say you would argue I mean, that, the lady sure. at LSU's won like four or five national yeah. championships. Don Staley, who won't go to the White House, but let's invite the VP to our campus. Right. To, um, right. Good job, Ref. How conservative <laughs> is Royal Ref of Radio really? <laughs> Josh, you weren't here, but when the Lady Gamecocks won their first national championship, that's weird. To say anybody with a Gamecock and national championship are the same, it's just especially weird to say they're first. Uh, anyway, right. when the Gamecocks won a national championship in women's basketball, Donald Trump was the president. And as as tradition says, the winning team gets invited to the White House. You know how that is, but that's customary. We've always done that. The winning college football team, the, win- the winning, well, I mean, Title IX has forced universities to commit more assets to women's athletics. The Gamecocks hired Don Staley, and she's been phenomenal. I mean, she has. Give her credit. She's been phenomenal. Um, there's going to be a debate at some point in time on sports shows around the country. Is Don Staley the best coach to ever coach at South Carolina or Clemson? I mean, I get the sports minor. I mean, don't, don't, you know, I didn't watch a moment of it. Rev watched it all. Um, <laughs> Most. But but there will be a debate. Dabo's won two. Um, Tanner's won two. Uh, Don's won two. But Don will probably win two or three more before it's all said and done. I mean, if she stays, if if she keeps, um, I mean, she's got Rev, so I would imagine <laughs> she'll stay. Um, I thought Rev was a Trumpster. Maybe he's not, Josh. Maybe Rev's one of these no, there, there were squishy times, Republicans. Look, I have to admit, it is hard for me to watch and not think about those things. Think about some of the things uh, she said and done. Not apparently too hard. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> so you watched the whole game. There was nothing else on. Okay. You watched the whole game, and uh, and it was exciting. I mean, because uh, the 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 women's basketball team was behind basically the entire game until the end, and it was one of those come-from-behind wins, and that makes it exciting sports. I, I tried to tune the other stuff out. Now, I found myself – now, you might appreciate this. I don't know. You might not. But toward the end, when we were making some of those – when we when when the basketball team was making some of the shots to come no, from behind wait. And, wait. and go ahead – well, I saw the way you looked at me. Um, you, Kamala Harris, Don Staley, and the Lady Gamecocks. I, I, you know, I, I found myself, you know, going, yeah, you know, doing one of those cheers – and then I pull myself back. So wait a minute. Why am I cheering? There's things about you know the, the coach of this team I I don't like and don't approve of. I'm kind of mad at myself for cheering. But I will say that I watched it to the end. It was exciting. Come from behind, win, and they showed why well, they are number one. But, but I got a serious question. When a woman basketball player jumps, do they leave the ground? <laughs> 
But I've seen them reach higher. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I've, I've seen them reach higher than anybody else to get a rebound. I don't know that I've ever seen. Now, I'm not an old hand at it like you. I don't watch yeah. anywhere near as much of women's basketball as you do. Congratulations, Lady Gamecocks, coached by the women's basketball coach who chose to not visit the White House, Josh, but welcome um, Kamala Harris to uh, speak to her team. Yep. Invited her on the court dur- during the practice a yeah. couple of weeks ago and then was asked about it. I heard an interview where she was asked about, you know, letting the, you know, letting the vice president come and address the team. And she says, hey, whenever you get, this is not about politics to me, mm-hmm. whenever you get an invite okay. from a president or a vice president or an opportunity, you have to take it. She said that. The most important question I've got for you. <laughs> and then I remember. Okay, the most important mm-hmm. question I've got for Here you. Go. What did the two coaches have on? <laughs> I mean, they've got their brands, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. The LSU coach has got this brand of wardrobe, and Dawn has her brand of wardrobe. Mm-hmm. So what did the two coaches, what, what was their attire? The, the LSU coach had some sparkly thing on with an advertisement, a, a soft drink advertisement up and down the side. I said, oh, I wonder how much she's getting paid for that because it just had the, had the brand name right there across her, whatever that sparkly thing. Thing she was wearing and Dawn and Dawn I think uh probably sweats or I don't know I didn't much much pay I bet attention. it wasn't sweats you buy from Walmart <laughs> no <laughs> I bet it wasn't sweats you buy from Walmart no I, I really probably one I of didn't. these I mean I'm what my, my daughter told me one day I mean we're I, casually I mean they're, they're, they've got an update about I, women's basketball I didn't really uh, notice what but anyway what I'm Staley's going like wearing. what is what has Dawn got on and my daughter says that's four grand <laughs> <laughs> I'm like do what she said yeah that hoodie's four grand um, Rev this morning when I walked in, when Rev walked in the door, he said, too warm today for a hoodie. <laughs> and you're getting me back for that, aren't you? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, anyway, yeah. um, R- R- Josh, can you and Rev swap places this no morning? Problem. A day of, um, a night of watching women's basketball <laughs> could lead to an inferior performance on the radio. Now, now, Josh doesn't watch sports at all. So you'd rather have no sports than the guy who watched the women's basketball game last I night? Think well, I, I can think probably, of one reason had. to watch women's basketball, but I don't think that's why you did it. I think the reason <laughs> you watch women's basketball to see if they reach higher or they actually jump off the ground. I mean, I, that, that's the that's the, the question of physics that I have. Gravity. You're, take you're a, getting me back <laughs> for the hoodie comment, aren't you? Take a break. <laughs> back in a few. 843-661-0937. We'll get into politics in here just a couple of a seconds. You want to put a wrap on your watching the women's <laughs> basketball show, Rev? Hey, it was a good game. It was entertaining, and uh, I, I got no apologies for that. But what makes me laugh is you, because I think you take some sort of joy. I, I remember there were years and years and years we talk about Facebook, and you had a Facebook page uh, going back to when you were in public office, and it had the maximum number of friends and followers, the 5,000 or whatever. And it seemed to me like you took so much pride in saying, oh, I've never, ever been in Facebook in my life. You said it all the time. Um, like you're just making some sort of point that I'm not on Facebook. So I think it almost seems the same to me when you're saying, well, I didn't watch that women's basketball game last night because don't, it makes you feel good to say that. Don't made me mad. And she did I mean, me don't, too. Don't care if she makes me mad. The least of her concerns is making me mad. I, I feel the same exact way, by the way. And and in the weirdest way imaginable, I should like Dawn because she walks to the beat of her own drum. I mean, she really does. I mean, she some like it, some don't like it. Um, but when she refused to accept an invitation to the White House because of her feelings, that made me angry as a, as a member of Game Cognition. Mm-hmm. I mean, too. it's not her right to decide 
how to put the university in a certain position on something as monumental as going to the White House, representing your university as a national champion. I mean, I don't, I don't care much for uh, women's basketball, but I'm more angry about Don Staley turning down an invitation to go to the White House as head coach of a University of South Carolina athletics team than I am. I mean, I'm not angry she's winning. I mean, I'd rather, if you play in a sport, I'd rather win than lose. I don't care what it is. But, but no, I mean, I, 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 I can be real stubborn. And when she decided to do what she did, and she did it without asking anybody, hey, let's talk about this. Uh, I got a problem with this guy, but I understand the university is bigger than I am. I understand it's a unique opportunity for these kids. You know, going to the White House, meeting a president that I don't like, it's still not my job to stand in the way of a university being represented a certain way. But she did. And she took that away from her players, the opportunity to say, again, take the politics out of it as much as you can for their entire life to say, hey, I won a national championship and I was invited to the White House. And now the nation remembers that basketball coach at the University of South Carolina that declined to go visit the White House because Donald Trump was president. That's bigger than Dawn Staley. And right. I'll never right. forgive her I agree. for that. Let's go to the phone. Cocky Mike, good morning. Oh, my Lord. He probably watched <laughs> it, too. He probably watched it, too. Don't, don't let him don't let him pretend he didn't watch that daggum game. <laughs> I texted him. I sent you the evidence that I texted him. And, and I sent you and a I message said, back that said? You said... I am not only watching it on TV, I've got my laptop and my phone. I'm watching it in three dimensions, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. That's what you said. If you're going to lie, I'm going to lie, too. That's not true. Did you watch it? Of course he watched it. Of course I watched it. It was number one against, uh, you know, the reigning national champions, number nine. And there ain't a whole lot of basketball games. Uh, women's basketball games that come around every year like that until they get into the finals. That, it was a really good game. And and I'm going to tell you, my wife was in there. My wife likes to watch basketball, both men and women, when it's, you know, competitive. And she was like, man, South Carolina looks terrible, terrible. I said, no, they're not. I said, you're not paying attention because you don't know what to look for. I said, South Carolina is playing really soft. They're going to let all that hype and all that aggressive and hard playing by LSU's big guns, uh, and they're going to be in foul trouble pretty soon. And sure enough, third quarter, you got the two, you know, people that have scored, Angel Reese and the, the white girl that has scored. He knows their names. <laughs> he knows their names. That's right. Angel Reese is Angel the, Reese the, and the white girl. <laughs> no, Angel Reese is the black girl with the – eyelashes that are a foot long. Okay. <clears throat> but guess who ended up fouling out? Their biggest score, Angel Reese, for the last four and a half minutes, I believe. And then South Carolina did what they you know, what they're good at. They came back and they scored. This, this is the best I think this is the best South Carolina women's team that that's ever played at South Carolina. Wow. So you go ahead and whine and cry and act like you didn't watch that game and you yeah, that's right. Mike, how do you feel? How do you feel about Dawn not going to the White House? I don't like Dawn. I hate Dawn. I, I, as a person, not hate. You know what I mean? <clears throat> I, I despise her politics. Utterly despise her politics. She wears shirts to games instead of wearing. Oh, Kim Murphy was decked out last night with a sequin Coca Cola shirt. Um, I, I, I do not like Dawn's politics. I wish she would leave all the politics off the basketball court and just be, you know, not going to the White House is a slap in the face of all the 
well, there were probably one or two players that really probably wanted to go and wouldn't speak up. I don't like her the shirt she wears on the sideline sometimes to do all this crazy stuff, but she's a winning coach, and you just sometimes you have to suck it up and just uh, be happy with, you know, winning, you know. Do the Clemson players, you know, do, do, do Clemson fans like some of the antics that Dabo does that, that he gets called out on? Probably not, but they love that he's winning them national championships or has won them national championships. Thank you, Michael. Get over your – Get over your fear of women's basketball. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Um, well, I mean, when you think about it. Thanks for coming to my defense there. Well, Mike. I mean, no. <laughs> and, 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 there's, there's more here. I mean, if you really want to go down this road, South Carolina has an inferiority complex. I mean, I'm a Gamecock. I guess to some degree I'm part of it. The University of South – bad boy and I have this conversation about NC State football and South Carolina football. Both of us should be ashamed that we're not better than we are. Big, well-funded universities, state capitals, uh, big fan bases, a willing donor base. Some of the, you know, and they both muddle around in mediocrity. NC State historically has been mediocre in football. They got basketball to lean on. You know that they've got some some national championships in basketball to give them a little cover. The Gamecocks have some national championships in baseball to give them a little cover. But but I would argue the reason South Carolina struggles is they don't have this. I'll say, and it, God, it drives me crazy to say this. You ready? Clemson has more of a badass attitude than South Carolina has. I mean, in all honesty, the Gamecocks have a bigger budget, a bigger alumni, you know, in a state capital. They should be better than Clemson. Doesn't mean they dominate Clemson, but they should beat Clemson more than Clemson beats them. But Clemson has this badassism about them, and they just, they're not going to lose to South Carolina, whatever it takes. I mean, that's not going to happen again. We'll do whatever we need to do. Um, Dome's kind of that. I mean, if we've ever had, I know it's hard to say a lady 5'3 that weighs a buck 20 is a badass, but she is. I mean, she is absolutely that. Um, some of the clothes, I mean, she wears, you know, Libby, my daughter tells me this because uh, she watches. She's a Gamecock. She's at USC. <laughs> she'll say, she'll send a picture of what Dawn has on. And it looks like something you'd wear to bed. And it's too grand. I mean, what do you mean it's too grand? And she thinks it's funny to watch my response. That's things you, I mean, you wear that to sleep. And it's too, yeah, but it's Chanel. It's Gucci. It, it's some other, you know, uh, fashion brand that, that comes from Milan or, or wherever. Anyway, that, that's enough of, um, of women's basketball. But, yes, I'm happy the Gamecocks win at everything they play or anything they decide to field a team. But, but it was unforgivable to me when she chose to take a pass on representative university I've been a fan of all of my adult life. She felt it was her right to basically stick her thumb in all of our eyes. I mean, all of us had been fans all of our lives, dedicated Gamecocks. I mean, we, we wandered around in the, in the wilderness long enough. We win a national championship in somewhat of a minor sport. I mean, it's a bigger deal than it was, but it's still in my world a minor sport. Win a basketball championship, you get invited to the White House, and because you don't want to go, the university is painted in a bad light. The university that I have been a fan of all of my life. How did we get there from NIL? Let's get the NIL passed <laughs> so we can fund collectives with television revenue there. and have a good next 30 or 40 years <laughs> in a sport that really matters, men's football. Probably won't be around in 30 years. Probably playing flag football in 20 or 30 years. Take a break. 
back in a few. Welcome back to the Royal Rev of Radio and Cocky Mike's Women's Basketball Hour. <laughs> I hear you. So I want to ask real quick. Oh, I, Lord. Because, uh, oh. you know, I'm I'm not familiar with any of this. I don't follow sports. So it sounds like the coach of the women's basketball team didn't want to go to see Donald Trump. And, like, what do you, what do you think should have happened if well, – I mean, I, I would like because you guys were talking during the break. You said that the a the ad should have fired her. But he's but the boss. Would, but would you have fired? I mean, there's her? a chain of command in universities. You got the board of trustees. They hire a president. President hires an ad. Ad hires coaches. I mean that's the way that world works. Um, it's not perfect, but that's the chain of command at a major university or any university for that matter. Um, I would have gone to Dawn and said, Dawn, I strongly encourage you to go to the White House. I understand you have your political opinions. You have every right to have your political opinions, but you are representing a university that has been in existence since 1801 and has hundreds of thousands of graduates all over the world, both Republican and Democrat, love Trump, hate Trump. You're placing your your perception over the t- the, 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 hun- the 220, the 223 years, well, at the time 215 or 16 years, the university's been in existence, and she would have said, Coach Tanner, let me explain to you why I don't think I we should go. And if the explanation was based in any way, shape, or form on politics, I would have fired her. I mean, that would have been a fireable offense. Now, if she said, look, we've got a big game. You know, uh, we're getting ready to go on a, on a foreign trip, and we got to leave for Barcelona. That exact same day they've invited us to the White House. I, okay, fair enough. I mean, I still think that's bad. I think you can shuffle some things around to make it work. We'll help you, Don. I mean, we'll yeah, help then you. The AD calls yeah, the White what, House. What do you need? I mean, when when do you have to be in this, this big logistics. women's tournament in Europe? I mean, when do you have to be there? You know, I got four kids that have been chosen to be on this international. Okay, fair enough. When do they have to be there? I mean, we can shuffle some things around. We can do some things. Maybe we can get with the White House and move it back a day or back two days or or whatever. But but I was never led to believe that was the case. I mean, it was all politically motivated. And she didn't want to go because she is a liberal Democrat, has every right to be a liberal Democrat. I'm not saying never hire a liberal Democrat to be your coach. This is what you get. No, I mean, she has every right to be a liberal Democrat. But but if she made that decision based on, and I got to make a determination as AD, I mean, they're paying me a lot of money to make big decisions on behalf of a university that has, you know, a billion-dollar athletics department. So, so I would say, Don, if this is about politics, I'm going to make a big, I mean, I'm going to make a decision that you're not liking. I mean, if this, if, if I'm convinced that you're not going to the White House because you have a problem with Donald Trump and you're denying the University of South Carolina since 1801, hundreds of thousands of graduates all over this country, some voted for Trump, some didn't. If you're putting your political ideology, your political persuasions as the priority, we're going to have a press conference and look for another women's basketball coach. I just think ADs have to do that at certain places in time. The university is bigger than Ray Tanner. The university was bigger than Steve Spurrier. The university is certainly bigger than Dawn Staley. And at that moment in time, she was bigger than the University of South Carolina, and they let it slide. And I would not have let it slide. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. Hey, kid, the only problem with this, um, how many many people that think like you and I actually get a paycheck from the University of South Carolina? Um, That would be probably zero. Yeah. Hey, kid, you know, this is what I was kind of thinking about. It. You, know, you know me, I'm always looking at stuff like. So you have Bill Gates at Davos talking.
talking about all the wonderful vaccines that are going to save lives. Then you got these other groups of people over there. Of course, one guy said we need to outlaw coffee because it's destroying the planet with the CO2. And everybody's just CO2. You do know CO2 is what trees and plants, we, we, you know, you breathe, that they, they make oxygen out of it. I mean, it's kind of an important thing we have. It's here for a reason. But then, but I'll say this, then they go around and say, okay, now we've got all these wonderful things devised to save lives. And then out the other side of their mouth, they say, we need about half the population to die. So why would we trust a guy that's selling a vaccine out of one side of his mouth, but out of the other side of the mouth says, I really would really prefer you to be dead, but take my vaccine that's going to help you live. You, you digging what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm digging what you're saying. You're freaking me out, but I'm digging what you're saying. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate well, that. But, I mean, we, we had some of these conversations two days ago about, I mean, I've read a good bit about depopulation. I mean, I really have. I'm trying to better understand. I mean, that some of these Davos Masters of the Universe are saying things publicly that, that I find alarming. Um, it's not like they're, you got to dig through some notes. Alex Jones said, I, we played a bit of Alex Jones on Tucker Carlson's podcast, and Jones said, just listen to these people. Now, but they'll normally direct your paths. Dick Cheney, I mean, it was Tucker asked Alex Jones, why did you in July of 2001 basically predict that airliners would fly into the World Trade Centers in September? He said, well, I didn't predict in September. I just, Dick Cheney was talking a lot about fanatical Islam. And Dick Cheney was talking a lot about Osama bin Laden. And I knew that they had tried. And he, he believes the federal government was involved in. Remember when the van had the bombs in it? Back in the 90s. It went off under the, like, like in the parking deck, under the World Trade Center. Yep. Jones believes the government organized that. The government had a hand in that. No idea where he gets that from. So he's always felt the World Trade Centers were a likely target. I mean, that's the, um, that's the symbol of power and commerce and trade and, and wealth and prosperity. Those big buildings. That, that are finance-centric. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm always worried about what these powerful people say in the public domain. Most of us aren't listening. I mean, we're watching Seinfeld or, or women's basketball. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Williams in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. Hey, Ken, uh, I, I noticed you have a lot of police on your station. You know, you, you, do, you refer, do you like the two-bits in blue? I, yeah, of course I do. Well, what don't you care about the 140 police, Capitol Police, on January 6th who got injured? You never mentioned that. What is that? Why is that? I think you just did. I mean, I, I, I've, I've said over and over and over again, Williams, that I wish January 6th had never happened. I think it was a bad day in American history. I don't think there's ever been a thorough investigation. I don't think the J6 Commission had any interest in getting to the bottom of what really and truly happened. But I'm not apologizing for the people that broke in the building and kicked out windows and doors and hurt other people. I would never apologize for that. Um, I'm, I'm going to support law enforcement every chance I get. Okay. Um, Trump say he gave Nikki Haley 10,000, offered Nikki Haley 10,000 troops. On January 6th. Why didn't she use the troop on January 6th? You're talking about Nancy, Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi. No. He, Trump said Nikki Haley. Play the tape. 
Yeah, and, that, and and yesterday Pelosi was asked about it, and she referred to Donald Trump instead of Joe Biden. Hey, play the tape. He said, Nikki Haley. Okay, one more thing. <laughs> 17 Republican gov- governors cut out this free school lunch program. 17 Republican governors cut out their free, but including South Carolina, cut out their free food program. I'll talk to you later, man. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. It's not the school district's job to raise kids, feed kids, sustain kids. That's the job of a parent. It is a travesty when a kid goes hungry. But philosophically, if you're a conservative and you have any ideological merit about you, you you got to figure out a way for schools not to be required to raise children which includes nutrition and counseling and guidance. And I mean, the, the, the education system in America is underperforming because it's not focused on education. It's raising children because parents won't take the responsibility to raise their own kid, including getting a job, earning money, and being able to buy food. I mean, that's part of a parent's job and shouldn't be shuffled over to the job of public education. The expectation we have of public education is bizarre to me. I mean, it's really bizarre how we expect schools to take on all these responsibilities because parents simply will not take a break back at a few. 4-3-6-6-1-0-9-3-7, our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Jason and Marion, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Uh, it's funny, Ken. I was just thinking about Williams, and just like that, he calls calls in. Um, and, and I, I want to ask Williams if, if January 6th was the biggest – horrible day in american history and if trump let's just say trump did start this insurrection and all these horrible maga people you know participated in that insurrection how come he never brings up the assassination attempt on kamala harris i mean you have the first woman vice president the first woman of color vice president and these horrible maga republicans you know tried to assassinate her and i'm sure there's some people out there say what's this crazy guy talking about I'm talking about the pipe bomb that was found outside the DNC where Kamala Harris was, which that's the first question that needs to be answered. Why was she at the DNC on the inauguration day? But we'll probably never know that one. And I mean, don't you just think that should that, that should be – and there's crickets from the, the media. You don't even hear anything in the mainstream media about this. And I just find that odd that Williams just never brings that up. I mean, well, don't you think that would help their agenda pushing that January 6th that these terrible MAGA people tried to assassinate – you know, the vice president, oh, my goodness, we really need to do something about these people. You have a good day. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that. I mean, I think the verdict on January 6th will be in the electorate. I mean, the media has told you that Trump is responsible for January 6th. It was the worst day in American history. Voters ain't buying it. I mean, it's just that simple. Voters are continuing to vote for for Donald Trump. If the voter believes that Trump incited an insurrection as, as and was indeed an insurrectionist, they wouldn't vote for Trump. They're not buying what the media is trying to sell. Let's go to the And phone. by the way, I've heard uh, Dan Bongino has been talking a lot about the pipe bombs and all the mystery that surrounds that scenario. Uh, Linda in Pamplico, hi, you're on. Uh, good morning, y'all. Uh, Mr. Kent, uh, I'm a longtime listener, and we're on the same level in our view of politics and Trump and all that. But I really took offense this morning, you're talking about those women uh, basketball players. 
Now, the coach, you know, she might have some trashy views about we don't agree with, but, you know, those girls are playing their heart out, and they probably got to do what the coach says, usually. Maybe they wanted to go to the White House, you know. But, you know, if you had your tongue in your cheek or whatever when you were saying about can they jump, can they do this, I mean, I'm a woman, I play basketball. I don't want nobody talking crap about me. You got a daughter. What's up? Please accept that as sarcasm. <laughs> Rev's laughing now. Thank you, Linda. Appreciate the call. Um, I mean, don't take everything I say at heart, please. I mean, I, I understand it could come across as disrespectful. And, okay. I'm not. I didn't say a thing. I am. My my sarcasm. I mean, I can't help it. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I'm afflicted with the disease. I got no idea. I don't think it's terminal. Well, eventually it would be. Um, but. But. I've just always been sarcastic. I've always been a smart butt. I've always tried to go places to provoke responses and, and create conversations. This radio show has allowed me ample opportunity uh, to do that. I certainly don't intend to disrespect women. I ain't that stupid. I mean, when I was young and dumb, maybe I did intentionally, but I would never in a million years disrespect women. Um, I will continue to be sarcastic. You Take a break. You can't help that. Take a break. Back in a few. That's some pretty interesting bumper music. Yeah. You don't like it? Was it Burt Bacharach? I don't know. I heard it in a movie and thought it sounded Paul cool. Anka? Neil Sadaka? <laughs> Say a name Josh knows. I know Paul Anka. Okay. Well, that would be the um, the loungy kind of music that I associate with the crooners <laughs> is all I know. I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about them either, Josh, except the loungy sound that I associate with the crooners yeah. of, uh, of that was, Days that was a little by. weird. I, I, I'm not familiar with that one you just played. But didn't Paul Anka, didn't he write the Johnny Carson Tonight Show theme? He did. I think he did. He did. He was an accomplished, loungy crooner, I think, and uh, and instrument, instrumentalist, uh, I think. So let's go back to conspiracy theory. And I'll get to, well, let's do it. Rev won't somebody come hell out. Anyway. Um, no, I mean, you've, you've asked me every break since Tuesday. What do you think about Texas? What do you think about Texas? I think it's a, is it a big deal or is it not a big what, deal? No, you, you, what do you think about it? I mean, what, what is your opinion of what Abbott is doing and the situation he finds himself in? Well, obviously, from a political standpoint, I would tend to agree with what he's doing. He's protecting his border and thusly the border of the United States. He's putting up the razor wire. I know it went to the Supreme Court as to whether he can keep the razor wire or the federal government can, can demand that he remove the razor wire, right? Um, but he has now said, no, I'm, I'm invoking, uh, I'm calling this an invasion, and therefore I have the right to invoke these, um, I guess, these parts of the Constitution that allow me to defend our state. And the federal government, of course, disagrees with that for whatever reason. And there's a, what I'm interested well, I mean, the in. The federal government disagrees because they're open border Democrats. Right. I mean, but that's why they disagree. But it's a dispute that is now, I mean, it's getting kicked up a notch because now um, and I know the ruling isn't exactly on whether the... The ruling is, and this is what people need to understand. The, I wrote it down this morning. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued an injunction that says you got to do this. The, the injunction said, we know the appellate court is hearing the case, but we're issuing an injunction that says the wire can stay up. The Supreme Court said that injunction is not valid. you got to let the appellate court decide whether it can stay up or not. The, the, the Supreme Court didn't decide whether the wire can stay up or not. The Supreme Court decided the injunction doesn't carry the day, but rather the course right. proceeding through right. the appellate court. That's the point 
people are real angry with Barrett. I mean, Roberts is Roberts. I mean, Roberts is one of us. I mean, he's one of um, he's one of us sometimes, and he's one of them sometimes. I mean, that's who John Roberts is. It, as long as he's the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, he's going to expend all of his energy in making sure the court didn't perceive to be Trump's court. It's not going to be a um, you know, the most conservative court ever. I mean, I think in his heart, he probably is more conservative than liberal, more constitutionally oriented than not. But he's not. He's not going to be the guy that drive the debate one way or another. He wants to be perceived as the guy that kept the, the court from being politicized and, and being so aggressively in pursuit of a political. That's just John Roberts. But he's not going to stop being himself. I just said a second ago, I have no interest in offending women. I mean, that's dumb. I mean, it would be real dumb for me to intentionally offend women. But, but sarcasm can be misunderstood at times as seriousness. And I'm not trying to be serious. I can't stop being that. I mean, it's who I am. I'd probably be better off by not being as sarcastic, but it's who I am. And as hard as I've tried at times, it's, it's impossible. Roberts can't stop being who he is. He ain't one of us. He ain't one of them. He's one of those. And one of those means I'm not going to let this court be interpreted as the era of conservatism or the era of liberal liberalism. So, Barrett's the confusing one, and I've heard people suggest that she is a mistake now because she didn't side with the conservatives. She made a legal argument, and the legal argument was, I don't trust the injunction as much as I trust the case working itself through the appellate court. That, that, I, I'm not saying that's the decision I wish they'd made, but I think that's a sound decision. I mean, I think if you're a constitutionalist, you can understand where, where she landed and why she landed where she is. Now, I am 1,000% with the governors that are supporting Abbott in the state's ability and, to do something. The federal the federal government controls immigration policy, but they won't enforce the law. So the state of Texas is saying, well, you won't enforce the law. We will. And it is a state's rights issue. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's a it's a 10th Amendment issue. And and it'll, it'll go to the court. There'll, there'll be another proceeding through the court. I, I guess the best thing we could ask for, Rev, is for the Fifth Circuit Appellate Court to expedite the decision sooner than later. Um, I think the Appellate Court will rule with Texas. I mean, I don't know the makeup of the Fifth Circuit. I don't have any idea, but that's where the that's where the legal wrangling is happening. The Appellate Court is hearing the case. It hasn't been expedited yet. That same Appellate Court issued an injunction that said the wire can stay up. The Supreme Court said... No to the injunction, let it play itself through uh, the appellate court. And I guess they sided with the federal government. And, and their argument is, you know, it's, it's making it harder to police the border. I mean, we can't patrol the border with this razor wire up. The, the reality is the Democrat in America today, not every Democrat, but the majority of Democrats in America today don't subscribe to borders. I mean, they just don't. They're, they're open border globalists. Come as you are. And they'll try to equate the southern invasion with Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty, and they're pretty good at it. And some people are gullible enough to buy it. Um, there's got to be a lawful, orderly way to enter the country. Now, the reason you're seeing a sense of urgency with Democrats is they saw the polling out of Iowa. And as much as the economy is going to be kind of the central feature of the 24 election, immigration's a big deal. People are now saying, wow, but you can't let people just invade a nation. I mean, we're a sovereign nation. I've told Rev, one of the concerns I have today, and I've been in this situation twice, 
there's a suspicious situation you find yourself in. And I'm going to be very candid. There's somebody who doesn't look like they were born here. I mean, I'm being judgmental. I'm, I'm admitting that. I'm being, I'm stereotyping. There's no doubt about it. Guilty as charged. You can't throw rocks at me because I'm admitting that some of my judgments are based on that person doesn't look like they were born here. And, and I get in these suspicious, not much, but every now and then, you get in a suspicious situation, and my mind automatically goes to, if, if they pulled a gun and shot me, what do they have to lose if the government doesn't even know they're here? I think a lot of Americans find themselves contemplating weird issues like that. Um, are they more or less likely to commit a violent crime if the government doesn't even know they're here? I mean, even the, the Democrats admit they don't know who's coming across. They don't have any idea what how many terrorists, how, how many criminals, how many people who are here to um, with, with with some sort of um, intent to cause harm to the United States. They don't have any idea, but I mean, they can't answer that question. Now the media won't pose that question, but but to suggest that what is happening on the southern border is in any way, shape, or form resemblance of the great days of immigration. And, you know, the, the Italians came and the Jews came and the, and the Irishmen came. And, I mean, that, that's absurd. I mean, that's what Ellis Island, I've been to Ellis Island. It is a processing center. It's where people come to become or to make an attempt to become an American, to assimilate, to assume our culture, our, lively, our, our livelihoods, our values, our dispositions. Um, you know, when you're in Rome, you do what the Romans do. The people coming across the southern border have no interest in that. And I think it's unfair to say all of them, what percentage of the Nicaraguans, what percentage of, of um, you know, uh, Ecuadorians. I, I don't have any idea. They don't either. That's the, it's okay for me not to have an idea, Josh. It's not okay for them not to have an idea. That's their responsibility. But Mayorkas is a open border Democrat. Unapologetically. I mean, he says the border is secure. You're showing visuals of people cutting through fences and jumping walls and swimming across rivers with babies on their shoulder. And Majorca says, but the border is secure. To him, as an open border globalist, it is secure. There is no need for border. I mean, he's, he's subscribing to the John Lennon song. Imagine there's no heaven, no hell. Imagine there are no countries. I mean, just imagine we all sit around a campfire, smoke weed, and sing cool. I mean, that's not the world we live in. And we don't know who these people are coming in into America. And I think Abbott has every right, every right to defend Texas. I think governors have every right to defend. I'll give you an example. I mean, I play these hypotheticals out. If I were governor and governor, if I were governor of South Carolina, Governor Abbott called me and needed National Guard men and women to go down and help him secure the border, I would do it. I mean, you get some blowback. That's not your job. Well, I mean, people elected me to do a job. This is how I think the job needs to be done. So I'm sending South Carolina National Guardsmen to Texas to help them secure their border because the federal government has a guy in charge of immigration and border security that is an open border. How do you put an open border guy in charge of border security? You've got the policies of the administration. This is what they want. This is what they aspire for America to be. I mean, it, you know, a decade ago, somebody wrote stories about the browning of America. I mean, this is part of it. This is the browning of America, and it's an ideology. It's not reckless or careless. It, it's, it's, it's what they believe, and it's hard to believe they believe that, but they do. They don't like borders. They don't like sovereign nations. 
they want a kind of a new world order. I mean, it really goes back to Davos, the World Economic Forum, and we're talking about depopulation. I mean, some of these leaders of the Democrat Party in America today subscribe to that. They de- describe this new world order that we're kind of all in this thing together. And, you know, Germany's no different than America. America's no different than Italy. And Italy's no different than some of the other countries. I mean, this nonsense. It's crazy. But it's not. I mean, of, of course, there's some incompetence here. But, but it's more about ideology than, than incompetence. What interests me, though, is the, is the showdown. I mean, it's one thing to have a, you know, a, a rogue state, we'll say, not even rogue, but a state that has a, a dispute with the federal government about an issue, a policy, or whatever. Um, that's obviously going on with Texas. Pretty big issue. And it does affect the nation. Well, in a big state. In a huge state. But there's now 25 states, governors, that are showing support to Texas and what they're doing. I think the Speaker of the House of Representatives has made a comment saying we're behind you, you know, 100%, you know, whatever that means. But, I mean, that seems more like a a showdown when you have half the states. (laughs) To me, it goes back to the narrative of destabilization. How stable is a government when the federal agents on one side of the fence are told one thing, the state agencies on the other side of the fence are told another thing? What if one of those big, bad enforcement agents from either side of the fence, I mean, if Abbott has commanded the National Guard and some of the um, Texas security forces to do X, and the federal government has ordered some of its national federal border security agencies to do Y, what happens in that clash? I mean, I think that's what you're asking without asking it. I mean, is there a show? I mean, it is a showdown. But what happens if something triggers and we have, I mean, that, that really goes back to, the disruption becomes de- destabilization. Trump is a disruptor. Trump leads to destabilization. I'm thinking about Curtis Yarvin and Peter Thiel and some of these uh, anarcho-capitalists, some of the dark enlighteners. I mean, we're getting freaky now, but it's not that freaky, guys. I mean, this is not that freaky. You're going to have a situation sooner than later where the majority of states in America, well, 50, 20, you know, half the states in America say, I'm with you, Texas. You know what that means? I'm not with the federal government. I'm going to know this particular issue, as big as immigration, what was the number one polling issue in Iowa? Immigration. Immigration. So we are that divided on the number one issue that Americans believe is central to our election and and basically our existence and prosperity. 25 states are not on Texas's team. 25 states are on Texas's team. It is a fundamentally important issue. What happens when... Someone from the federal government tries to cut the razor wire under government, federal government order or edict. Somebody from the state government tries to put the wire back in place. I mean, do they point fingers at one another? We hope they do. But what if they don't? All those people have guns. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Takes Mondays to make Friday. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Barry and Sherrall. Good morning, Barry. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Ken, so wonder why it took three years for Abbott to uh, finally do something. That's that's the question I got. I mean, three I, years? I, I would imagine he tried to work within the system and hmm. didn't get anywhere. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't speak for Abbott. I got no idea what his intents were at the beginning. Eh, he's and, and, probably a globalist. He's probably a globalist at heart. Uh, well, know, if he's a he's, globalist he's part- at heart, why is he defying the federal government? You know, sometimes you got to push back. Is everybody a globalist, Barry? <laughs> <laughs> I have questions. 
I have questions. But about I think a lot. you lose credibility when you believe Abbott's a globalist. He's a World Economic Forum. Absolutely. Well, that doesn't mean are he's a Bush, globalist. Uh, are, are the Are the Bushes globalist? Yes. Okay. Who 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 did he follow in uh, office? But I mean, did, did Bush ever put wire up to keep immigrants from entering the country? No. But d- does 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 George W. Bush like open borders? Yes. Okay. That answers your question. But he's a globalist. Yes. Correct. If Abbott liked open borders, why yes, is he defying the federal government? Well, now he is because there's too much pressure. There's too much pressure. I, I'm glad he's doing it. But I'm saying, where was this three years ago? I would have put it up on day one. Again, I'm glad Abbott's doing it. But I'm saying, we got to watch here. I mean, the man had three years. But, but Barry, if we follow, and you know how much I, I, I love your opinions, and you know that. But if you t- if you do what you're talking about doing, you're going to be on an island. You, you can't you can't be in politics and think everybody everybody's on the other team. No, I'm just saying three years, Ken. This guy had three years to do something. I, I, now I, I, now I, all the, all the heat's on him. But do you know? I mean, do you, do you have any idea what he tried to do with the last three years? Uh, I mean, it's but, it's it's very vague. I mean, it's not, and that's the point really I'm making. Have, I I just you think know, I I. You, some people are going to be more globalist than others. Some are going to be more affair, America firsters than others. I agree. But I think Abbott's on our team. No, no, I, I, I do. I do. I, I'm with you there. But I'm just I'm just really disappointed in him in the last three years because I've been following it. Very. I mean, my Orcas has gone to the Darien Gap. But my Orcas is a globalist. He is oh, an open border Davos globalist. Absolutely. He's built the camps in the Darien Gap. There's three camps down there. That, that the United States has built through the U.N., through us giving U.N. money, the U.N. turns around and builds it. And now you know what they're building? They're building a bridge to go over Panama. Correct. So, I mean, it's going to be one lane coming into the United States unless we stop it. I'm glad Abbott's doing it. I'm just saying, three years, mm, 2024 election year, na- the nation's all looking at the southern border, and all of a sudden, I mean, it's not like it just started. So I'm glad he's doing it. I'm on his team. Uh, we have to support the people that's going down to the border. I'm glad that the governors are getting on board. South Carolina's been sending people since 2016, 2014 when I was in. We've been sending people for the border for years. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys that I served with went to the border. So there's nothing new for South Carolina. We've been in the fight for a long time at the border. Obama started it. So – Here's where we're at. Thank you, Barry. But, but, but when you think, thank you, Barry. Appreciate it. When you think about it, guys, the majority of Republicans and Democrats, for the most part, are globalists. And I'm talking about the, the major players. I'm talking about those who really drive the train. You're seeing some energy now from, you know, some of the America Firsters. But this is a this is kind of a generational swing in the Republican Party. I've said it a hundred times. We want to flip a switch. <laughs> And turn establishment uh, conservatism off and America first on. There's no switch. I mean, it's a, it's a long haul. It's a it's a step forward and a half step back. Two steps forward, two steps back. It's a it's a victory and a loss. It's a good election cycle and a bad election cycle. Um, we're getting there. I mean, I genuinely believe we're getting there. I think we're winning. I mean, it's obvious we're winning because Trump's winning the Republican primary and has at least a 50-50 chance of being president. So we're making some gains. We're making some headway. And I want you to understand, like Rev and I were talking during the break, I'm talking about the Fifth Circuit 
Court of Appeals, the injunction, and the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court didn't tell Texas you can't put wire up. The court said you can put it up, but they can cut it down. Now, but they, did, they didn't command of Texas to stop putting up razor wire. They just said the federal agencies have the authority vested in them via the Constitution, and they're controlling the border. They have authority to cut the wire down. Abbott was saying they're cutting our wire down, and they can't. I mean, that's a violation of state's rights. Now, now, once again, you've got an appellate court decision that is proceeding. You've got an injunction that allowed the wire to stay up. You've got a court decision that says you can put the wire up, but they can cut it down. I mean, I know that's a bit confusing, but that's kind of the um, back-of-the-napkin good old boy explanation of what the legal decisions have led to. Um, I get Barry gets frustrated with, with, with Abbott on some situations and with Henry on some situations, with Trump on some situations. I just think if we're looking for purity, we're going to be lonely. I mean, I'll say that again. If we're looking for purity, we're going to be lonely. Let's go to the phone. Daphne and Dylan, good morning. Good morning, guys. Just imagine there are six to seven times more people, more illegals, coming across our southern border than the troops, Russian troops, that invaded Ukraine. And yet they still don't want to call it an invasion. Uh, The thing about the Republicans that disturbed me so badly is they don't stand up and say, uh, Biden, we have existing immigration laws. You are the one who is breaking the law, not enforcing the law. Also, the same senators that have an R after their name, that voted for both the big spending bills that uh, Biden put through and have in the past voted for all these uh, radical judges are now saying, oh, yeah, Schumer, yeah, we will we'll allow uh, 5000 to come in a day, and that way it will be a new law and we can – just allow them to come in over a million a, a, a year. And, you know, you can just keep on doing what you're doing, and we'll be pragmatic. So that tells you that we have 18 to 19 traitors in our Senate that could give a crap less what's happening to us out here in the working force when we go to a dental clinic for a toothache and we have to put out hundreds and hundreds of dollars and we see illegals walk in with a Medicaid card and the clinic has had to hire someone to translate for them. You talking about angry makes me very angry. What is, thank you, Daphne. What is a fair number of immigrants? Have we thought of that? Zero. No, I mean, that, that's unfair. I mean, you've never been in manufacturing, never been in industry, farming, agriculture. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, and there's another side of this coin, Josh, that there are certain jobs that Americans have been taught to not want to do. And I go back to academia and higher education, you know, sweat of the brow, dirt under the fingernail. Um, what did Chris Rock say about immigration? The comedians, I mean, he said, um, 
something about, I understand these Republicans want zero immigrants coming into the country. Who are you going to get to pick strawberries? Who's going to put out pine straw? I mean, I understand the distortion of labor markets. I understand unskilled labor. I mean, I've read more than you care to imagine. But manufacturing, industry, farming, agrarian facets of our economy require unskilled labor. And for whatever reason, I mean, I could really get on my high horse here. For whatever reason, a lot of young Americans don't want to do that. I mean, they just don't want to do it. I mean, the strawberry doesn't pick itself, right? I mean, the, 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 the pine straw doesn't put itself out. So some of the menial labor, uh, you know, that there's always going to be jobs at the bottom of the food chain, literally and figuratively, so to speak, that have to be done. And Americans have been convinced that that works beneath them. They don't have to do that work. Find somebody else to do that work. Um, but there's now, already that's numbers. what prisoners are for. Well, I mean, or should be for. Well, I mean, no, you can't have prisoners. You can't have murderers building truck beds and picking strawberries. I mean, you can't. You can't do that. No, the, the point I'm trying to make and is there this. needs to be an opportunity. There, there's for a people practical to... place to address immigration. There, there's a legal immigration. But but what's happened, Rev? The liberal. It's the perfect storm, guys. The liberals believe that the more of these people they let in, and I don't say that derogatorily, but the, the more of these people that they let in, the more likely it is that they win elections. In other words, if they come here and and a certain percentage assimilate, a certain percentage do what is required to become citizens and become eligible voters, they win that voting block 70-30. I'll tell you what to secure the border. The day that the, the, the Democrats believe the polling about Hispanics voting for Republicans, I mean, that's the day that you'll see a big switch in I'm not quite as much of a globalist as I was, not quite as much of an of an open border guy as I was. The other side of the coin, Josh, is corporations who lobby Congress need workers. And they like to work to pay their workers less. In about every business in America, you know what the number one most expensive line item? Labor. I mean the cost of labor. That's your most expensive line item. And when you've got fewer and fewer workers and more and more jobs, the rate of labor gets some of the supply and demand, simple theory of economics, supply and demand. But if you let an abundance of people who will pick strawberries and will put out pine straw when we'll do some of these menial tasks, we'll wash dishes in a, um, in a, in a restaurant, we'll, you know, unload a store, a, a truck at a grocery store. And, and we've had a total distortion. So the, the, the perfect storm is the Democrats believe that the majority will eventually vote for them. The Republicans believe that corporations will continue to make large contributions if they can keep the cost of labor down by distorting, manipulating the labor market, supply and demand. We, we got all these jobs that require unskilled labor. We got all this abundance of unskilled laborers. So a job that may be worth $9, we might can find someone to do it for $8. But that's kind of now that there's a, there's a change happening with the grand old party, Right. I mean, the grand old party is becoming a working class party. I mean, that's, we're in the midst of that. I mean, there's no denying that. The, the, the Democrats have become the party of corporatist elites, um, billionaires, gazillionaires. The Republicans today are more in tune with the American working class. Take a break. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. Our number, let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Charles in Lamar. Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all this morning? Morning, sir. How are you? First of all, Ken, I don't understand why you have to be sarcastic. I just don't know why <laughs> people have to have to be that way. Right. <laughs> You're <laughs> the king. <laughs> <laughs> when, when when Dave 
that electric Volvo and started wearing those skinny jeans, I knew it'd be no time before he was watching women. I did too, Charles. We lost him. I, I, we lost him. I, I, I knew, I knew I hear that you. was coming. Hey, Governor Abbott's trying to get the band back together, and he's got 25 commitments so far, and that's 25 out of the remaining 49. So if you include Texas, that's 26 states total. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm all in. We, we've got to do something. This federal government is totally out of control. And uh, I don't know what's going to be accomplished by what he's doing. But right now, that man's my hero. And I'm I'm behind him 100%. So, um, you know, that that's my thoughts on that. Thank you, Charles. Thank appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. But, but doesn't that play into the narrative yesterday? Trump is a disruptor but the disruption can become destabilizing. I mean, when you're talking about 26 governors, I thought of the way Charles said 25 other governors. Abbott plus 25 is 26 for you folks in Pamplico. That's the majority. 26 is more than 24. Um, That's destabilizing, isn't it? Now, Now, what comes of this? What happens at the moment in time when some federal agent is doing what the federal government has charged him with doing? And that is cut defense. And somebody from the Texas National Guard is doing what their state government has ordered them to do, and that has stopped them from cutting defense. I mean, that's state versus nation. I mean, that's not in a courtroom. I'm not talking about legal challenges. I'm not talking about briefs and discovery and lawfare. I'm not talking about, you know, this team of lawyers and that team of lawyers. I'm talking about more than likely, you ready? Well, if somebody when I say this, we're, we're more than likely two dudes, one with a federal paycheck pension one with a state paycheck and pension on different sides of the fence literally and figuratively on what needs to be done or not that that's a destabilizing moment in american history i mean there's no doubt about it now now what happens i don't have any idea i mean worst case scenario somebody gets shot you know somebody takes matters into their own hands and someone gets shot let's just say it comes to no guns but physical some some sort of physical altercation between the federal agents, and the state agencies. I mean, that that's a crazy day in America. But I'm telling you guys, if we're going to take the government back, it's going to be several episodes like this. There's going to be a J6. There's going to be a, a standoff in Texas. There are going to be some other things that we didn't count on uh, nor consider. And I'm not encouraging that. I'm certainly not encouraging that. But Abbott has every right to defend his state. I mean, it's his job to defend his state. He defers to the Constitution for border security because the Constitution grants the federal government the right to police the border. He says you're derelict in your duty. You're not doing your duty. Therefore, I'm taking matters into my own hands. And the majority of governors in America say we're with you. That is very destabilizing. And once again, the most destabilizing part of it, Rev, is it's not well-dressed lawyers sitting behind mahogany desk saying, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. I mean, these are real dudes with real guns and real jobs to do and real fence and real people trying to come across a border. I mean, that is very destabilizing. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Hi, Mike. You're on. Hey, uh, I, I really enjoy hearing Daphne and sometimes Williams. I just wonder what Williams thinks about uh, all those resources that are being eaten up by the uh, illegal aliens, and uh, they're, while they're throwing veterans out of the uh, 
out of the hotels and depriving them of uh, much needed treatment. That that just doesn't seem right to me, and I I don't think he's thinking this through very well. But uh, I this uh, this whole thing uh, is timing is everything because they. The uh, governors, I noticed even New Hampshire, Sununu, had signed on to the border thing. And uh, I think, uh, I don't know if that would have happened before uh, Trump went through his state like a dose of salt. And uh, that that uh, changes things because he's got pretty solid support up there, despite that being uh, such a relatively uh, liberal state. So I think uh, Abbott is doing it right. He had to wait for time until he could get enough people on board to uh, back him up. But that's a serious situation because, as I remember a number of years ago, I think you were in office there, uh, South Carolina uh, wildlife officials and uh, Georgia wildlife officials almost came to exchanging gunshots over a little sandbar out there in Savannah River, if I recall correctly. Uh, you probably remember it more clearly than I do. But uh, we've got to uh, stop this craziness that uh, people just coming across the border. That That is insane. And Daphne had one thing. She left one thing out. The biggest trader we got is we've got a trader as head of the executive branch of our government, we've had this uh, this guy that I don't I don't think he's a, a true American. I don't think he's following his oath to the Constitution worth a flip. That's just my view. Thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, this is going to be kind of. I mean, Christy Nolan from South Dakota says she'll send the South Dakota National Guard to stand alongside um, Texas. If I'm not mistaken, there's one Republican. That hadn't signed on yet. Check my check my math, Rev. I think there's one Republican, the Vermont governor, one of these Northeast governors. Now, in all honesty, if you're Republican up there, you're probably a liberal or excuse me, a Democrat almost everywhere else. Um, he knows every word of the Star Spangled Banner. That makes him a conservative in the great Northeast quadrant, New England states and whatnot. But I think there's one governor, one Republican governor who has not signed on uh, to Abbott's proposal of securing the border himself since the federal government. I mean, I think his word has abdicated its responsibility and in, um, in what the constitutional says you must or must not yep, do. All but one Republican governor, Phil Scott of Vermont. Phil Scott of Vermont. Yeah, there you go. One of the uh, New Englanders. Uh, imagine or, that. Or uh, Vermont. Uh, yeah, Vermont. Vermont. I'm sorry. <laughs> Vermont. Um, so is there any Democrat? I don't think any Democrat governor signed on to that. I mean, I think Republican Governors Association, even good old Mike DeWine says the situation is untenable. I read that. Um, I read that this morning. I, I want to. We'll come back and we'll have our delegation in the next hour, and um, and we'll kind of break the routine of the show by talking to them. I don't know if one, two, or three are coming. Uh, talk a little nil. Talk a little. What else is going on in Columbia? What else did I read about? We got some judge issues. Imagine that. We got some judge issues. Um, but anyway, we'll um, let's take a break, Josh. We'll come back. Uh, finish this hour delegation. I want to get back to depopulation. I, I, I want to tell you why that conspiracy theory has some underpinning. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning. You're on. Yeah, good morning, guys. Real quick, 
one thing we're not talking about is actually the Democrat Party is promoting slavery because all these people come across the border are being pushed across by the cartels, and it's been reported that they have to pay up to $15,000 to get across. Well, if they aren't paying it up front, they're sending remittances back home, not just to their families, but to the cartels in order to pay that debt off or they'll end up killing their families where they're from. So we're just taking this uh, uh, draining of America's wealth by sending all that money back home. The U.N. is paying all this money to get people to come through. Even Doctors Without Borders and the Red Cross are giving them maps to show them how to get across. And, And at some point, we got to call it what it is it's modern day slavery so i understand cheap labor but it's getting to a point where they want to just overrun america and just completely drain us of our resources Y'all have a good one. thank you joe josh let me ask you a question is it fair to say that it's easy to talk about immigration to the southern border in a less humanitarian way because we're not boots on the ground and there's not a mom and two kids and a father or older kid and a younger kid. You see where I'm headed? Yeah. I mean, we're all, I think we're all to some degree humanitarians. We care about our fellow man, especially as Christians who believe in, you know, um, I am my brother's keeper to some degree. So it's easy for me to sit behind a microphone and read what the wall street journal says, read what the New York post says, read what national review says about immigration policy and what, they should do or shouldn't do razor wire and, you know, abdication of duties and all this. But I'm not six feet away from a destitute family looking for a better way. How do you, how do you handle that human emotion? Well, that's, it's a difficult question, especially as a Christian. Because we've never had to deal with it. Right. Yeah. If you see a, a baby drowning in a river, but the baby has Ebola, it, it it's a tough moral question to contend with. So I get it. But at some point as a nation, we do have to say, like, I'm not advocating for putting up turrets at the border, but a, you know, like, for example, with Greg Abbott, he put up those balls in the water that are supposed to block people from getting in. And everyone was concerned about the immigrants drowning in five feet of water. So it is... At some point, we are have to you say concerned about that, immigrants drowning in five feet of water? Here's a better not, question: How concerned are you about immigrants drowning in five feet of water? Illegal immigrants drowning in five feet of water. I'll say this: Do I want people to drown? No, but invaders coming into our country and ultimately making it worse—that's just what's happening. If they are choosing to run their bodies into the side of a ball in the water inside of a buoy and they happen to drown at some point we have to say well that's their fault that's not that's not my fault we are we are putting up a fence it's like if a squirrel runs into your fence in your yard and kills itself should is it your fault or you know a deer or whatever you get what i'm saying yeah but but human beings are different Okay, if I mean, a person did. Okay, well, I mean, that's a better example to me. Um, it's a little bit like the, the I got some good old boy friends of mine who will argue about electro, you know, electrification to the fence. You know, you just put, put two twenty on that Perfect fence. Example. And that'll, that'll cool it off and just put big signs up. Hey, 
I mean, this fence is electrified. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, be real, real careful around this fence. I mean, it's 220 volts of, you know, romping, stomping, you know what? Enter at your own risk. Um, I mean, why can't we do that? Take a break. Back in a few. What's up, Josh? I gave you rave reviews for two solid weeks because it was Springsteen and Mellencamp and Zeppelin and Boston and Foreigner. And now I have no clue what it, he's playing. It almost sounds like gunslinger music. It's cowboy music. Okay. Ah, okay. okay. Not as provocative okay. as that one song. <laughs> and, and, and they're here on time today. I want to congratulate the members of the delegation for being on time. Okay, we're going to lead off. All, all three are here. Uh, Senator Rickenbaugh, Representative Lowe, Representative Jordan are all here. I want to start with less about Columbia, more about national politics. But it is about Columbia because beginning Monday, this state will be the epicenter of politics in America as the presidential campaigns of Donald Trump and Nikki Haley make their way into South Carolina. Um, I talked to our good friend Robert Kahaley a little bit the day before yesterday. Um, we were talking about what the margin may or may not be. He said, I don't have good polling without DeSantis in the race, you know, without Ramaswamy in the race. It'll probably do that in the middle of next week. But he believes that Nikki gets about a three or four point bump from it being her home state. In other words, if this if she was the governor of North Carolina, it would be 65-35. She's the governor of South Carolina, therefore it's um it's 60-40. Jay, I'll start with you. I mean, you are someone that both campaigns would covet and endorse. I don't believe endorsement convinces people to vote to vote for one candidate or another. But it does build momentum. It creates a sense of viability. Would you agree to that? I mean, I don't believe the majority of our listeners are voting for someone because Jay Jordan says vote for him. No, I definitely think that's one of the things that's changed over time and is probably a result, and not a bad result, I'm, I might add, but a result of the, the the Make America Great movement. I think that's one of the ingredients in there is I'm capable of thinking for myself Give me the data, the information, and I'll make my decision based on the criteria that I think is most important. But you do believe it creates positive momentum. I mean, it builds energy within a campaign. I think it does. I think the, you know, when all of us have been in campaigns, and at some point during the campaign, you're just looking for something positive to talk about, to do, to keep moving, whether it's we knocked on 100 doors, we made 1,000 phone calls, we got these endorsements. I mean, it's just another, you know, flag to put up of positive movement in the in the campaign process so so philip what do you make of what's about to happen in south carolina well a three-point swing doesn't really matter it's a winner-take-all state it only matters in momentum from here and, and if they, she keeps on in the race and goes to super tuesday you know she can keep saying um, i'm beating the polls i'm doing better hang in there I, you know wait for me i i think we got a chance of winning so uh, but you know certainly Elected officials are, are far on the side of Trump in this race. So if that helps, some people may not like that, but, but he certainly has the momentum from, you know, from all the endorsements that I've seen. I've not seen Nikki put out a list, which means it's probably isn't very big. Why is that, Philip? I mean, you'll answer this question. I know you will. Why do the majority of members of the political, I don't know, elected officials in South Carolina favor Trump over the former governor of South Carolina? You know, this is a weird way of saying it, but they hate establishment. I hate establishment. That's why I ran to start with. It's never changed. It, I'm part of establishment. So there's a weird thing. I'm still pulling for the middle class worker, the, the folks who have liberty in mind, God-fearing, gun-toting folks. He represents those people. 
Mike, what what do you make of it? I think Trump's going to win by at least 20. And I don't, I know Robert hasn't done his polling yet, but I think he'll win by at least 20. What surprises me more than anything is the amount of money that's going to be spent here. And I'm grateful for South Carolina because money's in dollars spent in our state is, is good for our state. Um, but there's a little side of me just from a, a free market, limited government, fiscal conservative, even a pretty conservative person financially myself, the amount of people who are still giving to her campaign when she's going to burn through money, she's, she's essentially running on other people's money and they're going to burn through millions of it when that money could be better spent. So I'm not, everybody who illegally has the right to run, let them run. And if somebody wants to donate to her campaign or any campaign, so be it. Um, It just seems like throwing good money after bad when somebody's going to lose by probably 20 and if you worked hard for that $1,000 or $500, you're going to go write a check. Jay, years ago, I mean, when, when, when you got in the game and Philip got in the game a little bit before you, Mike's in the game now, there was a way to get elected as a Republican. You ran around talking about limited government, lower taxes. I mean, it, it was the National Review Weekly Standard. <clears throat> I mean, if you read Bill Buckley and, and, and you know, uh, Bill Crystal, you kind of had it figured out. You knew what to talk about, what to say, what the priorities needed to be. America first is complicated. I mean, I'm not seeking elected office. I talk on the radio about things that I, that appear to be true to me. And it appears to me that today we're in a transitional period in the Republican party. There's still some, to Mike's point, the donor class in particular that want that weekly standard national review, Bill Crystal, William Buckley, Republican to hold office. But America first is just, I mean, it's been a tsunami unlike any I've seen in my lifetime. Well, if you look, I can't remember who said, you know, we need a big tent. We got a, we need a really big tent right now, but not, not just in numbers, but in ideas and concepts, because, you know, th- that's how you win today. And, th- and that's how it should be. We bring as many people as we can. We have a lot of different ideas under that tent, uh, but we're going to, we're going to lose on election day if we can't consolidate. That's one of the big fears, you know, as, as this America first movement has gone forward, you know. I'm for President Trump, have been for a while now, but the reality is what's it going to look like down the road after President Trump? There's going to be an after President Trump, and what will it be? Will it be people fall away and, and, and leave the, the party? Were they just here because of him, or will they stay and, and hopefully continue the discussion? And, and Philip, you said something a second ago. The working class, middle class, historically, in mine and your adult lifetimes, has sided with the Democrats. I mean, historically, that's where the working class has gone. I mean, they voted for the Democrats. They believed the Democrats' agenda and program and ideology was kind of in their best interest. You know how those Republicans are. They're fat cats. I mean, they're all about corporations and rich people and and country clubs. Has it made it? I mean, I know it's been interesting for you as an elected official, but but is is it hard to figure out exactly where you need to be on some of these issues relating to where your voting base is? I don't think it's difficult for me. And, and I, I noticed it in 16. I, I mean, I predicted the election. I almost got it to, to the to the point, I mean, within a couple of points of the final. So you sensed it. You yeah. you knew. I mean, I, I saw it in 10. I mean, when I ran for lieutenant governor, Robert and I talked a lot, and he would tell me to say these things. I said, Robert, I'm telling you, there's something else kicking out there. Philip, it wasn't just 16, was it? I mean, th- this was coming. We saw this coming a mile away. It's been, yeah, you're right, it's been coming, and. You know, Hillary was such a bad candidate, and similar to Biden. Right? He's he's even worse than Hillary is. Uh, and 
the Rust Belt, you could just see them like, we need, a, we need a break. And they broke away from the unions, and they voted for a guy that gave them hope that they would bring back jobs to the middle class and enrich their area again. They were losing people, and they still are hand over fist coming down south. Uh, so I think, I think this time it's pocketbooks, it's wallets, and, and it's the same type theory. With my, with my understanding, there's just no way that even our moderate Republicans can go vote for Biden. They may hold their nose and vote for Trump, or they may not show up, and we'll lose nationwide if that's the way it goes. Uh, Nikki thinks that we're all just going to fall in her camp because we got nowhere to go between Nikki and Biden if you're on Trump's team. But you're fighting over the middle again, and certainly Biden's got the left, we've got the right, and the middle's got to come with us. So the bigger the tent, the better right now. And the longer we fight it out, the more the hard feelings are in place between our moderate camp and our conservative camp, and it makes it harder to put it together. So I don't blame Nikki for coming to South Carolina. This is her state. She deserves a chance, and she's going to get it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tweeted yesterday or the day before, there's not a better place for the GOP establishment to die than South Carolina. I mean, it's last stand. I'd rather it happen in South Carolina than, than New Hampshire. Mike, the only Republican Party that you have been elected to be a part of is the America First Movement. Um, I like being the part of the working class. I, I do. I mean, I genuinely, I like to be referred to as, okay, this is not the part of the fat cats any longer. This has a, I don't know, a message that resonates with the American working class. I got to believe you like that. Yeah, and I think Jay brought up such a good point about what's life look like post-Trump, because it will be a post-Trump, you know, at some point. And I don't think it's going to be maybe what was the traditional argument between uh, the the left and the right, or even the moderates and the, the, the far leaning one way or the other. Like, Trickle-down economics isn't going to be the driving factor. Uh, our carbon footprint, um, our foreign affairs policy with the Ukraine, I mean, those aren't going to be the issues that drive. I think what's going to get people's attention, Ken, is about the, the, the first time your fourth grader comes home and says, I got in trouble because I called Tommy a he, but now Tommy's a she, and I'm in trouble now. I think parents can going to be like, wait, wait, what? Now, you can talk about what happens in Greece, but now you're talking about my family or the first time your sixth grader says, hey, I read a book in the library about sodomy. And what does that mean? Or fill in the blank. It's the social issues that affect, affect people's families that I think are going to keep people in the America First movement to say, you know, you can do a lot with the carbon footprint and with our oil reserves and our, our economic policy and our trade policy. But now you're messing with my family. You mess with my family, you're touching what's closest to me, and I won't allow that to happen. That's what keeps us together moving forward. And, and, and Jay, you got to agree that, that, that America's story, excuse me, South Carolina historically has been a blue-collar state. I mean, there's not, I mean, there's some well-to-do here, and we got some affluency along. I'm thinking about Charleston in particular. I mean, there would be some self-proclaimed aristocrats in, in Charleston. We refer to the Holy City when I was in, when I was in Columbia. But, I mean, it, it, America first would excel in South Carolina. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Oh, absolutely. I think Mike just identified um, very well that the sort of next phase of this, you know, it's it's going to, if someone had a question about do I go right or do I go left in this movement, you're going to go right based on what he just described. What led us to this point, we've talked on this show many times about this, you know, the you know, average fella gets up, works hard, does so for years and years and years and devoted to a, a particular company, a particular job. And he watches his ability to provide for his family continue to diminish. You know, I've, I've used this example. It used to be 
you know, when I was a kid, that same fella could have a vacation at the beach for a couple weeks, have an extra car in the driveway, do all the things he wanted to do, needed to do for his family and have some money that he could, you know, plan for the future. And now that same person, it's a different generation, but that person's son perhaps can't do those things because that dollar doesn't stretch nearly like it used to. And that's what leads to the, what, what's going on here. And then when you add this next layer that Mike just described on top of it, you can't go back. We'll explain. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. There you go. Is this the Philip Lowe we're, hour? We're, we're all in on the gunslinger. I mean, I mean, no, no the, the first hour of the show was the Breeze hour. I mean, I, you know, I get to host Breeze's show for an hour, and I get to host <laughs> Philip's show for, for another hour. Thank you, Josh. I want my own music. Has Philip promised you a flag? Because here's the oldest trick of the book. You ready? He's promised you a state flag that flew on the Capitol. I got one. I like that. <laughs> so they got 300 seat of his truck. Right y'all, y'all messed up. He deals in $20 bills. Not oh, okay, 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 okay. Uh, my yeah, bad. Yeah, Jay and Mike, you need to make your request now. Get them on the list, and we'll, we'll try to make it happen. Yeah. Think about it. shoot him, okay? <laughs> good deal, good deal. Let's let's stay in the vein of, of national politics. Uh, Andy with Jay, I want to go to Philip here. Um, our governor, Henry McMaster, has sided with the governor of Texas, in a dispute including or involving the state of Texas and the federal government about border security. How important, Philip? I mean, we're not a border state, but they're getting on buses. They're getting in trains. They're, they're getting in cars and vans, and they're going all over the country. How concerned should South Carolinians be about illegal immigration? I mean, we don't seem to be a destination. But I'll tell you this. I, I think con- construction would probably stop tomorrow if we just rounded them all up and took them back. So they've become part of our economy, like it or not. I mean, I think Democrats want them here for their votes and their future votes. And, and you, they actually can vote in what, 13 different cities. Mm-hmm. Illegal aliens can actually legally vote in those cities now. So a council could vote, our council, the six, what, Democrats, one Republican, they could vote right now that illegal aliens could vote in municipal elections or school elections, things like that. So I don't think... I don't think South Carolina or Florence is is overly populated with them, but you know they have become part of our economy. And like it or not, we've got to figure out who's going to put shingles on the roof and who's going to build these buildings because our people seem lazy. Mike, it's a complex question. I mean, I touched on that this morning. I mean, my family built truck beds for a living, and and you know, toward the end of my time there, I mean, we couldn't find Americans who wanted that kind of work. I mean, we just couldn't, so we had to be creative. In pursuit. Now, I don't think anybody's advocating for open borders, but there has to be some lawful, orderly way that we allow certain people to integrate themselves into American society. Yeah, I, I would say on the open border statement, I think there is some on the left who is okay with an open oh, border. Oh, there's no doubt about and, it. Um, for sure. But on the, on the conservative Republican side, uh, I think we need to acknowledge that as much as we can have sympathy and empathy and, and Christian love, if we are a nation with a porous border, then we are not a nation. Um, you become more of a territory at that point where people can come and go freely. And in today's day and age, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we will reap the consequences of that. There will be a terrorist attack. We will see more fentanyl. We will see additional pull on our resources from those who have not earned the right to be here. I hear from several constituents in this district here in District 31 who are even have Hispanic immigration. They came in legally. They've got visas. They've got green cards. They're waiting on citizenship. 
they are some of the most angry about the porous border because they said we waited in our turn. We waited in line. We did everything that was asked of us. We did it the right way because America is a nation that gives us opportunities. Yet they talk to relatives back in Mexico who say, did you hear your cousins already there? Did you hear your, your aunts over? Your, your and they're like, wait a second. We did it the right way. Spent time and money and resources to do it the right way. Yet we are allowing them to come in 10,000 per day. It's got to stop or we're going to have some very dire consequences. And, and Jay, this centers around a lawsuit. I mean, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in, in Texas is hearing a case. They issued an injunction. The Supreme Court overruled the injunction. I mean, the courts are still going to hear the case about what they can and cannot do. And the Supreme Court didn't say you can't put up razor wire, Texas. They just said if you put it up, then cut it down. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird legal argument that's happening uh, right now. But but obviously, Texas has an issue that most of us don't have don't have to deal with. Well, and it's funny, as we're discussing this, I was thinking this actually, I think, connects back to that discussion we had in the first segment, which is, you know, how does America first, where does it come from? This is one of those issues. I think that when the average person says two plus two equals four, that makes sense to everybody sitting at this table. But this the, the modern era, two plus two is 64 to some people. It's, it's, it doesn't make sense. A border without a wall, without being secure, doesn't make sense. It's an energy issue. It's a crime issue. It's a national security. It's, it's all those things. And I think the average person says, this just doesn't seem right to me. And therefore, let's, why, why haven't we fixed this already, much less still talking about it? When it comes to the legal issue, I think that's one of the things, you know, when, when President Trump was in office, we all looked around and said one of the things that he did that will live on well past him is his Supreme Court selections. Now we're going to find out to what degree that's accurate. We've seen it already time and time again. The federal government has way outkicked its coverage, and now it's started to recede through different issues and send things back to the states and said South Carolina knows how to handle South Carolina issues better than the federal government. We'll see if they do it in Texas. Let's let's stay with you and, and kind of make the round from uh, from my left to, to right. So, Jay, if that's I mean, if, if Abbott found himself in an untenable position and felt his only choice was to defy the federal government, what is I mean, if South Carolina found itself in a place of having to defy the federal government, what 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 sort of defy? What is the right way to defy the federal government? I mean, I know you guys get unfunded mandates and. I mean, I'd like to say that, you know, the money comes from Washington to Columbia, from Columbia to Florence, from Florence to Pamplico, and, I mean, crap runs downhill, so to speak. It always has strings attached and, and stipulations associated. But Abbott's deciding to defy the federal government and other states are joining in. Um, I mean, if the General Assembly has to deal with something the federal government passes down and you find it so offensive, what what can we do about that? Well, I think we've been doing it. I think, you know, we've been doing it for these last years with, with Biden. I think we've constantly been trying to point out to the American people, look at the things that this, this administration, this president is doing. You know, continue to point to those things. I think Governor Abbott's doing a good job. I think the idea of bringing other governors and other states into the discussion is a necessity in this case. That's spreading the discussion from oh, it's just crazy Texas or crazy South Carolina, whatever the case may be, and turning it into, wait a minute, there are people all over this country that are saying the state ought to have the ability to govern the state and the federal government shouldn't just blow over them and wash over them and force them to do what they don't want to do and shouldn't do. And, and Philip, you were talking a second ago about, you know, the effect of Trump and the effect of, uh, of America first. I mean, there's no doubt Trump is a political disruptor. 
I mean, there's no doubt about that. I've argued for two days. It's kind of a conspiracy theory I have that the 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 America First voter are willing. I didn't say they won't, but they're willing to tolerate some political destabilization if necessary. That they're kind of celebrating in a weird way that 25 governors are opposing the big bad federal government. Well, a gunslinger and Trump agree on that. You got to throw <laughs> a hand grenade every so often, uh, and you know the Democrats do something and then make us. Sue and that we're, they were going to the Supreme Court and a lot of times winning. Now we've got the Supreme Court on our side. The courts seem to be the only route to, to get, uh, I guess, governance anymore because nobody in, in Washington is going to agree with a split Congress like that. And so we're not getting legislation to control things that are problems. So it's got to basically go through the courts and everybody chooses the right state to do things in to get it through the right circuit, to get it in front of the Supreme Court, and that seems to be governance at this point. Mike, disruption seems fun. Destabilizing seems a little bit concerning. Um, I'm in the radio show business. It's good for my business. I mean, the more destabilization, the higher the ratings are normally. But as an elected official, it's, it's kind of a different animal. Would, would you agree that we live in a – we're living in an era where political destabilization is the wish of – a certain segment of the population. I think it's a, a wish and it's a, it's a very dark wish that we may end up getting. I'm, I'm not a, a fatalist or a, a, a prepper or an end timer, but I do think we're in a precipice um, in the terms of our nation. If the federal government changed their position, which is currently, if you want to be a sanctuary city, if you want to be a, a haven for crime, if you want to allow looters to have free run, you're allowed to. And if they change that mindset to we're going to enforce it, South Carolina, if somebody comes into your target or your local grocery store and wants to empty the shelves, you just, you got to let them go because we from Washington are going to mandate that or fill in the blank. We're going to mandate gender transition surgery. We're going to mandate any type of books. We're going to mandate abortion um, up until you know the, the, the time of delivery. I mean, all the things that they could do that they, they want to allow, and then Biden has said it, if they got to the point, I really believe this, where they told states, we're going to make you do this, I think you would see a, a revolution. And I think there'd be a significant number of states to say, you know what, this isn't the country that we fought for and that many of us, of our ancestors died for. We're, we're pulling out. I, the point I'm trying to make, guys, is crazy talk isn't so crazy anymore. No. I mean, some, of, some of these things 20 years ago that we're like, wow. I mean, that's the nuts loud. You know, the, the, the nuts in the back are the ones that are saying these crazy things. It's becoming more and more and more mainstream. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Yeah, man. I'm not in 843-661-0937. Everybody in this room except Rev, and he's a smart guy, has run a campaign. <laughs> and you try to make heads or tails of the data and the numbers and the math. The reason I asked the three of you about America first is because if I were running today, I would wonder whether or not I genuinely understood who my voters were. I mean, I think history says there's this group of people, and you count on this group of people. If you say these things, you win. As confusing as it is, Philip, New Hampshire's even more confusing. I mean, it's an open primary. You got independents, you got Democrats, you got, uh, you know, hardcore Trump voters, you got some establishment Republicans that don't care much for Trump. What did you make of um, New Hampshire this past Tuesday? All right, this is my conspiracy theory. Well, you're welcomed and, here. And I appreciate you setting it up for me. <laughs> you're here welcomed here. Because I fact-checked it, and, and I'm sure of myself already. So, All right, so Iowa's a caucus. New Hampshire is the first primary. 
Democrats gave up the first primary to try to move it to South Carolina. That opened up New Hampshire so that all the people on the left had no reason to go vote because Biden couldn't even get a single delegate out. All the delegates were frozen out of that state. They had no reason to go vote. Where do you think they voted? They set it up so they'd go vote in the Republican primary. This was a plan from a year ago, and it wasn't so South Carolina could be first. It's so they could disrupt Donald Trump in New Hampshire. It didn't work, but it probably gave Nikki 10 points. Mike, I'm not asking you today to say whether or not you believe in a closed primary, but is it time to consider that in South Carolina? Yeah, I think it's time to consider anything that makes our elections safer and more pure, more genuine, that the the will of the people gets to be decided. But I'll tell you, it's so hard to figure out what's heads and tails. Like Philip's point, you know, he he makes a a valid point as to what might have happened. But then on the other side of that coin, I've heard over and over that the Democrats want a Biden-Trump rematch, that we beat him last time, we'll beat him again. So they want more than anything for Trump to win. So if they wanted Trump to win, then it would have been the counter argument. Like they wouldn't want to go ahead and affect it and have people vote for Haley. Hard to, de- to determine what's real and what's not. Jay, but, but, but you've told me before, I mean, I don't think you'd mind me putting this on the street, so to speak, that I mean, America first has confused you about exactly who the voters are, what they expect of you, what they want your, or what your priorities should be in relation to that. But, but the one thing I think all of us agree with is in the process of selecting a nominee, because primaries aren't elections, they're selections. We're selecting our candidate to go to a general election. Shouldn't we want more like-minded people deciding who our nominee is? Not excluding some of the independent thinkers. I mean, I'm not saying it's got to be all the most rabid activists there is, but but I think, to Philip's point, New Hampshire was unacceptable for me. And, and by that, I mean it distorted the outcome. Democrats had a hand in affecting the outcome or impacting the outcome of a Republican primary. So I definitely think we have to find ways, as we were talking about before, and America First is a part of that, of expanding the party. You know, Democrats are expanding their party by bringing people over the border. They're, they're finding ways to expand their footprint, and we have to find ways to expand ours by convincing more people that this is the path forward, these are the right di- policy directions for, that we need to take. Um, so in that sense, I, I think having more people participate in the right way is the answer to the question. I think it's absolutely time that we have a serious discussion and debate and look at the <clears throat> ripple effects of closing our, our primary elections in South Carolina for this very reason. I'm for bringing people to the discussion and coming to the table and coming to the meetings and participating in the policy uh, discussions. What I'm not for is trying to manipulate the process. I'm not for what Philip just described. Uh, let's assume for a minute that's true, um, where in a year in advance, you're put, moving the chess pieces around to set this up so that you can then essentially deploy people to manipulate the will of another party. I'm not for that. Philip, is there? We got about uh, about five or six minutes here. Is there anything that happened in Columbia this week that you think is um is important about moving the ball down the field on whatever issue ways and means or budgeting? I mean, where where are you guys at in the budgeting process? I guess is what I'm asking. We're stuck. We're taking uh, testimony right now. It's not um, nothing exciting happened this week, but it, important. It, yeah, usually on Wednesdays we have Wicked Wednesdays and we come up with a bill, but. Uh, the Democrats hate it, and we spend a long time in session. But this time, 
we didn't have one teed up ready to roll, so it wasn't anything really meaningful. Um, we did a meaningful last week, and we'll probably have another one this week. Uh, but we're in the middle right now of the budget crunch. And for the first three weeks, we'd go in late on Wednesday so we can have all these committee meetings. And we passed a good, like, Department of, uh, of Workforce bill so that when times are really good and is low unemployment, you can't have but 12 weeks of unemployment. But when times get bad, you can go back to the original 20 weeks. That should save employers money. It should make people get off the couch in times when times are good. Go get a job. There's job signs everywhere. You know, work for hire here. And it also will help recruit uh, industry to the state who factors in several things. And one of them is what's the cost of unemployment insurance? Mike, you were talking about in the Senate, there's a, uh, a bill being bandied about to have a, a, a separate joint session for the chief justice? Yeah, it goes back to the judicial reform conversation we've had many times from all levels of the courts, from the, the Supreme Court all the way down to magistrates. Um, there's a, an effort now, um, especially taken up in the Senate, uh, that because there's a lot of Republicans who are pledging support to candidates who are considered by those Republicans to be too liberal, um, that want to be on the bench, um, we were the the reform of the bill essentially would vacate all of the judicial decisions with the exception of the Supreme Court. Um, and the other positions would just remain open. It, the, the goal would essentially be to push for the conversation for reform, that until we sit down, we being both sides of the, the General Assembly, Republican and Democrat, both chambers, sit down and have a discussion on if we're a Republican state with a Republican supermajority in both chambers, why do we not have Republicans on the bench? Why are we selecting Democrats? Um, we're only going to select the chief justice. And, and that probably was uh, one of the biggest things that came yesterday. And then the night before that was the governor's state of the state address. And he talked about a lot of successes last year. But I'd say the most impactful thing he talked about was the need for the, the bond reform to, to keep violent criminals and repeat criminals in jail. Um, the guy that they had speak up, the real, real hero, state trooper, um, shot in the face, he and another deputy exchanged gunfire with this guy, 29 charges, including rape, assault, battery, attempted murder, 29 charges, and he was out on bond yet again. He pulled him over, and the guy had nothing to lose. He had warrants, had nothing to lose, exchanged gunfire. So a state trooper shot in the face because we can't, as a state, figure out a way to keep violent criminals in jail, and it's incomprehensible. Jake? The only caveat, and don't forget, Mike, that guy was actually out on bond in Georgia. That's right. Um, yeah, that's so, right. you know, I totally agree. We have to continue like we did last year to close that revolving door. Um, but we need the states around us turning these violent criminals loose to, to participate in this process uh, as well. Um, you know, I, I think these guys did a good job. We got a lot on our plate. We're, we're getting that machine up and running, you know, the subcommittees, the full committees, the so that we can get these pieces of legislation on the floor. Um, you know, we, we've, it's an interesting year. We've got a lot of things that are sort of between the bodies. You know, I think Mike, y'all spent a lot of time this week on constitutional carry. We sent y'all that last year waiting to see, you know, can y'all get that passed as we send it to you? Probably we'll have an amendment. So therefore it's probably coming back. And that'll be another thing we have to take up as Philip said on one of those wicked Wednesdays to see if we can't get constitutional carry finally over the finish line. Uh, and then judges are going to continue to be um, a discussion. We passed the resolution, I think, last week to set the election date, um, and that would be, in theory, a day. We, it, it, it could be the day that it gets all hashed out on the floor of the House with the Senate and the House all in the same room. Um, so we'll have to see you know, what the Senate sends us back 
do we set an election day for these judges? Do we set an election day just for the chief justice of the Supreme Court? That one in particular is a really good question because, you know, we've talked about it on this show. Who the Supreme Court, who the chief justice of the South Carolina Supreme Court is, has a lot of different decisions to make that affect the entire state of South Carolina. So, you know, the last thing anybody wants is to put off those type of discussions. Let's go to the phone. Do we have a call? Yes. Uh, Johnny in Hartsville, good morning. You are on with the delegation. Good morning, guys. Uh, morning. Yeah, y'all were just covering my question about uh, constitutional carry, and that's why I wanted to find out, you know, if I'm going to try to do it this session rather than kicking it down the road for till 2025. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for the question, Johnny. So the, the bill is in the Senate right now. Um, the last two days we've been debating it. Um, we currently have, I believe, 23 to 24 of us that are committed to voting for the bill, um, me being one of them. I've always been pro-Second Amendment and constitutional carry. The biggest challenge now is that we have to take each amendment one at a time. And uh, as of yesterday, at the, the close of session, we were on amendment number eight, and I think there's 22 on the desk and more coming. And Ken, you've, you've presided over the, you know how long it can take to get through some of these amendments because each side gets to talk about them. Um, we've got some really good um, gun rights groups in the state that help sift through some of the amendments, which is really important, Johnny, because some of these amendments are, they may look decent on the surface, but they're real poison pills uh, to try to erode the bill a little bit at a time and then to send it back to the House and cause problems for you guys. So many of us just want to pass it as it is without any amendments um, but every side, each side gets the chance to go through each one of them. Okay. I think we got one more call. Uh, we do. Sam in Hartsville, you are on with the delegation. Yes, sir. Um, my name is Samuel in Hartsville. Just a question for the delegation. Um, why is South Carolina the only state um, that, surrounded by 26 other states that have passed the counseling compact, which allows licensed professional counselors like myself, if one of my clients is out of state and needs to talk, I can't do that. But if South Carolina joined the counseling compact, I could. And Georgia and Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, every one of them is joined but South Carolina. I don't understand it. What is the explain the advantage of that, Johnny, from your perspective, Sam? Sam, I'm sorry. The advantage is is that I'm an older counselor and a male, which is becoming rare and rare. Um, I am up on various websites, and if a person in North Carolina uh, wanted through telehealth to seek my advice on a given topic or a married couple wanted to go through a marriage assessment or a premarital couple, um, they could seek my services in South Carolina. It expands the opportunity to contact and work with people. And like I said earlier, if one of my clients is traveling on vacation, is up in North Carolina on Timbuktu, and they have an episode or they get into an argument or they feel like they need an hour's worth of my time to go back over whatever we have discussed in the past to help them find balance, I can't do it. Gotcha. Understand now. Philip? Typically, the grassroots would contact their board members, you know, their, wherever, the LLR or whatever it's under right now, and they would – they would ask for legislation that would put them in the compact. 
It's pretty simple. That stuff usually isn't opposed. So I would just say let your board members kind of draft something. But make sure it's exactly what the others are doing because if you've got some words that are off, you won't be exactly the same in the compact. But isn't that, I mean, isn't that the beneficial part of doing this? I mean, you guys hear from people out there, there, there may be a technicality there. There may be a reason this didn't happen. Believe it or not, people get mad with other people at times in politics and get in the way of things progressing. Absolutely. You know, I, all three of us and, and most others in the General Assembly have full-time jobs, and we're not experts in every single field. You know, Mike's a business guy, car business. Um, Philip, what do you do I'm now? Jack Leg yeah. of all trades. <laughs> Duck hunter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So having the opportunity to hear from people and understand what are the issues facing are important. Yep, and appreciate it. Thanks to all three of you. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. Last hour of the week, we call it the decompression hour. Some will get real loose and fast. You ready? I mean, you know how disciplined I normally am and how polished I normally am and how reverent I normally am Mm -hmm. as an esteemed radio show host. We may have us a good old Texas standoff. Down south, if we aren't careful. Fox News Radio's Eben Brown has stepped into the hornet's nest of irreverence and and um and I guess the um the weird way of which we do business here in uh, in talk radio. But Eben is here to update us on this situation that the Biden administration finds itself in dealing with Governor Abbott and and the state of Texas. Eben, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. How are you? And it does seem, I mean, I'm being a bit provocateur here for a second, but it does seem that we're having somewhat of a um, a good old-fashioned Texas standoff. Well, uh, there are some people who are saying Eagle Pass is reminding them of Fort Sumter, but I don't know if we should go there just yet. <laughs> you guys are well-versed in that that mode of history. We're, we're, um, Evan, I'll interrupt. We're a little jealous that it's Texas and not South Carolina <laughs> being sideways with the federal government. We wear that with a badge of honor. Continue. I'm sorry, sir. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, uh, you know, earlier this week, Governor Abbott in South Carolina sent a letter, an open letter to President Biden, um, detailing a list of grievances and the reasons why they have the right to be aggrieved. It kind of read similar to another declaration made in the 1700s uh, in which someone outlined a list of grievances against another uh, leader. Um, you may have heard of it at some point. You might remember it from <laughs> elementary school. Uh, anyhow, uh, in that letter, Governor Abbott, and quite seriously so, stated uh, or, or referenced Article 10, uh, sorry, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, I think it is, of the U.S. Constitution, which says, okay, the states are not supposed to go to war on their own unless they're actually being invaded and being and actually at war, being attacked, and then they can, especially if the federal government's not stepping up or stepping up quick enough. Uh, and so that is being used as maybe a justification for uh, Governor Abbott to give the Texas National Guard a military role, a military mission, as opposed to, you know, helping hand out sandbags um, to get onto the border and stop people from crossing into the U.S. and into Texas specifically. Uh, That has prompted uh, some Democrats, mainly in Washington, to say that President Biden should just simply federalize the Texas National Guard so that uh, Governor Abbott has no control over it. And that would happen under a federal statute called Title 10. Now, Title 10 has been used to federalize a state National Guard in the past. Uh, Most, um, I think, notably in the past hundred years, it was used by President Eisenhower to federalize the Arkansas National Guard 
to desegregate schools because the Arkansas governor was planning on using the Arkansas National Guard to stop the desegregation of schools to prevent black students from entering those buildings. So uh, President Eisenhower used the Guard uh, under that power uh, to, uh, to basically enforce or uphold federal law. Uh, in this situation, you, you could make the argument that were President Biden to actually use Title X and federalize the Texas Guard to not allow them to enforce border law and immigration law and stand on the border and prevent people from crossing in, um, that the, the president would be using the Guard and those powers to prevent federal law from being followed. And there lies the rub, because that's a constitutional crisis. Edmund, is there any communication, I mean, you know, uh, between Governor Abbott and the Biden administration? I mean, I understand that there's a different belief about what's happening on the southern border, but but obviously there, we, we got to get, get in some situation of resolve. I mean, I don't know where we end up. You don't know where we end up, but it, are you aware of any communications between the governor's office in Texas and the White House in Washington? I. Nothing at the top of top levels. I don't think there's been any real communication between or direct communication, or at least not regularly, between Governor Abbott and the president. Um, are, are state agencies uh, talking with federal agencies? Yes, of course, they have to. Uh, so that that is happening. But ultimately, those top decision making, uh, you know, the top decision making on the federal side obviously comes from the White House. Uh, and I don't think there's been much in the way of communication or at least su- anything substantive or regular with regard to that. Uh, but that's that's kind of where we are here. So that if if Governor Abbott is planning on using the Texas National Guard to actually patrol and uh, in uh, the the U.S. border and prevent people from crossing into the country, and then the President of the United States uses a statutory power to try to take that guard's command away from the governor in order to not enforce a law and therefore permit. Uh, either a law to be broken or to permit, as Governor Abbott is saying, an invasion of the United States, uh, you have a real constitutional crisis. You have you have the federal executive uh, putting the states at danger. And it, very interestingly so, Governor DeSantis of Florida yesterday uh, posted a Twitter video where he kind of gives his thoughts sort of unscripted, uh, sort of out of character for him, but quite interesting where he, first of all, asserts he's on the side of, of Governor Abbott, but at the same time uh, talks about the Federalist Papers and how the states in the 1700s probably never would have ratified the Constitution if they weren't assured that the federal government was going to protect them or that they didn't have means to protect themselves if the federal government failed to do that. And he says that this very scenario is addressed by the Federalist Papers, which, if you know anything about the Federalist Papers, it really details the mindset of our founding fathers and what went into the, the writing and crafting and framing of our Constitution. Now, you put that ahead to a, a future court case that may or may not happen, and with the current makeup and bend of the U.S. Supreme Court, a bend towards the textualist uh, school of Clarence Thomas and Antonin Scalia, uh, then uh, you, you see where this goes. You just carried my um, audience to history class, Evan, and I really appreciate <laughs> that, was great. that. That is a great, great historical explanation of where we are and um and and how complicated the issue is thank you Eben. appreciate it have You're a welcome. great day thank you i mean he, he nailed that i mean he really and truly nailed that i mean in theory that's kind of the debate i mean immigration families and water and barricades and 
and and wire and you know the uh, the visual of an envoy uh, coming into the country illegally, uh, being bused to different places. It really boils back down to the Constitution. And I think I, I did see what DeSantis had to say, and he referred to Madison and some of the Federalist Papers. What do we do when we've got a Constitution and the federal government doesn't feel obligated to adhere to the Constitution? I mean, how? where do you go from there? And, I mean, I think the quicker the appellate court in Texas or the Fifth Circuit decides, um, that that's going to create some degree of clarity. Uh, in other words, the I don't know that legal, we, we got... Remember, guys, let's go about elementary school, middle school. You ready? You got executive, you got legislative, you got judicial, right? The judiciary. You got these three branches of government. Now, I'm a Jeffersonian. I don't believe the three branches were ever intended to be co-equal. I really don't. I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, if you read a lot of what Jefferson said, Jefferson believed that the judges are there to call balls and strikes when legislative and executive can't. The legislative and executive branches are by and large, elected officials of the will of the people kind of carries the day in both of those of those branches. You may not like the president, but but he got elected. You may not like, like the the majority in the House, but they got elected. The majority in the Senate, but they got elected. I mean, we can question some of the voting improprieties. I mean, I get that. There will always be questions about, did they really win the election? Uh, did he really get 81 million votes? I mean, that's not new to politics. That's been around for a long, long time. But when the federal government, judiciary, unelected, I sound like a conservative radio show host now, you ready? Unelected and liberal bureaucrats decide the fate and future of a state relating to immigration, and they're not adhering to the Constitution. I mean, it's unconstitutional what they're doing. Legal has the final say on constitutionality or not. And I think the, I don't want to say Rev made a mistake because he didn't. Rev knows this as well as I do. But, but when you really dig into the judicial argument, the Supreme Court is not saying that the appellate court made a bad ruling because the appellate court hadn't made a ruling yet. The appellate court issued an injunction, and the courts are basically saying, you know, let's, let's not allow the injunction to carry the day. Let's let the trial carry the day. And they sided. I mean, this would be beneficial to Biden, but they sided with the federal government and its responsibility to control the border. Border policy is in the federal government's hands. Um, I mean, I would imagine part of, um, and I, I've not read the plea. I don't have any idea what Texas is suing the federal government for in the appellate court. Don't have any idea what the language is in that. I'm not sure if I read it. I know what it means anyway. I mean, there's probably be a lot of hearing twos and where thou's and all that, you know, sort of um, <laughs> lawyer fair, lawfare and lawyerly language. But it just seems to me that the, the quicker the Fifth Circuit can expedite a decision, the more clarity we'll have about what needs to happen or not because the Supreme Court didn't say Texas can't put up razor wire. The Supreme Court said you can put it up, but they've got a right to cut it down. What intrigues me is the fact that now there's a majority of states that are on record as being in support of Texas, right, and what they're doing. So that's more than just your normal run-of-the-mill dispute between a state and a federal government on an issue. Oh, there, there's no doubt about it, and it could escalate. I mean, it really could. I mean, it, it, it could escalate to one of these, I mean, even a more destabilizing moment than J6. Guys, we're going to have episode after episode after episode after episode of political destabilization. 
I mean, it's good for my business. <laughs> I mean, the last thing I need, you ready? I mean, I'm going to be about as, as, as honest and crass as I can be. The last thing we need is government doing exactly what it says it's going to do. I mean, there's no need for you or I, Rev. There's no need for controversial conservative talk radio if the government meets every marker, if they answer every bell, if they do exactly what they say they're going to do, when they do it, they abide by the Constitution. Our relevance is based on the government not doing what it says it's going to do, the government not abiding or adhering to the Constitution, and we are there to be somewhat of a a kind of a check and balance. I mean, we're, we're not judiciary. We're not executive. We're not legislative. We're, we're a, a niche genre in a, in a radio universe. But I think we've been highly effective at attracting an audience. I'm not talking about Wake Up Carolina. I'm talking about talk radio in general. I mean, there are uh, a couple of hundred people every morning waking up doing what we do. I mean, is that fair? I mean, a couple yeah. of hundred people wake up every day. I mean, I understand some of the big markets have – you know, Bongino and the late Rush Limbaugh and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton and Glenn Beck and uh, what's the guy not uh, probably the smartest one of them all. Mark Levin. Mark Levin. He's a bit crazy, but he's really bright, very smart, very historically accurate about his understanding of, of the way things were, the way they are, and the way and the way they should be. But I think raising awareness to these issues and, and forcing the envelope a little bit uh, is, is what we're called to do. It's part of our business plan or part of our, our business model. But, um, but I mean, th- this could escalate in a big hurry. I mean, this really intrudes. It's, it's hard to defend. I mean, I, th- I think we all have sympathy for those who went to the Capitol on J6. I mean, they genuinely believed that Trump won. You, you're not going to be 80%, 90% of those people who went to the Capitol January 6th believe that Trump won that election that something happened they can't explain. They felt a bit powerless. The way they could speak truth to power was show up at J6, kick a door down, bust a window, um, you know, carry a lectern around. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what flows people's <laughs> boat. But this is different because the Constitution's on your side. I mean, I think you've got the Federalist Papers. I'll try to find uh, what DeSantis said. DeSantis sounded presidential. It's a little bit like he's liberated now. Well, he doesn't have the layers of campaign social media people telling him what to do. And, and at times, Rev, people find out, I don't want to say their limitations, that's unfair, but they find their sweet spot. And I think DeSantis' sweet spot is Governor Florida. He's an excellent, excellent governor of a big, big state in America that deals with a lot of complex issues. He just never, ever seemed to find that comfort as a presidential candidate. He's unbelievably comfortable fighting Disney, fighting the teachers' unions, speaking about the Federalist Papers. He just never could get comfortable in his own skin as a presidential candidate. Now he's encountering Donald Trump. And Trump has a, a way of making you uncomfortable, right? I mean, I think we all agree to that. I mean, you wake <laughs> up every him. morning saying, I got to go fight this monster, man. I mean, yeah. that's not a lot of fun right now, especially when Trump's got all this energy built by people who despise him. The jet fuel in Donald Trump today is not the Trump supporter. I mean, the jet fuel for America first today is the people trying to j- just destroy Donald Trump. I mean, that's where the energy comes from. It's the weirdest phenomenon you could ever imagine. Uh, let's take a break, Josh. Take a break. I know we got a call. We'll get to that call on the other side. 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Kevin in Florence. Hi, Kevin. You're on. 
Good morning, good morning, fellas. How y'all doing this Friday? Hey, Kevin, how are you? All right, quick, quick thing. I, I, I love playing over scenarios. It's fun to do. Let's just say Biden federalizes the Texas National Guard, takes over, so um, relieves them of command. Well, what if one, two, three, or a few of these red states governors who are back in Texas deploys their National Guard to the Texas border to assist Abbott? then that will put Biden in a very much of a pickle. Could, be, could Biden? That, that, okay. would, that would be good for uh, uh, talk radio. Well, I mean, it would, Kevin, and, and, and I'll ask this question. You still with us? No, I'm here. I mean, if I'm Biden and I believe what I believe, now I'm not Biden and I don't believe anything he believes in, but if I'm Biden and Mayorkas is my guy and Mayorkas is an open border guy and I federalize the National Guard and some of the other governors send their National Guard uh, you know, back up basically to take on the responsibilities of what the Texas National Guard can't do now. Does Biden nationalize all National Guards? I, I don't think um, his backbone is that thick. That that would be the death knell in, in democracy, the Democrat Party. It, that would just to federalize them, just to have them sit on their their butts. It would be another crazy episode in American pie. And it seems to me, thank you, Kevin, appreciate it. It seems to me the, the, the crazy episodes are becoming more frequent, right? I mean, it, it, surely we got to agree with that. I mean, the, outland, the unexpected is becoming far more expected. It's almost like if you go a couple of weeks and we don't have some crazy moment in American politics, we're like, what's going on now? I mean, surely they aren't getting along. I mean, surely there's something happening out there that they aren't, they aren't telling us about. Guys, it really fundamentally breaks down to the establishment losing its legitimacy, the media being decentralized, and they can't control the narrative. I, I really believe that if you, okay, the top 10 reasons we find ourselves in this politically unstable environment, I think that's two of the main contributors, that the establishment those who have appointed themselves masters of the universe, and they've been able to hold on to that job for longer than probably they should have. And, and I guess the great embarrassment is this, is we allowed them to be masters of the universe for as, loud, for as long as they were. But along comes an Elon Musk, and along comes a Twitter, the digital town hall, as he likes to, to say it is. And we begin hearing and seeing and discussing things, and we realize our opinions aren't that fringy. I mean, if Josh's opinion is that Biden will federalize all National Guardsmen, I mean, and if Josh says that in the former days, I mean, that's crazy. And Josh doesn't say that much because Josh doesn't want to be crazy. I mean, Josh doesn't want to be basically cast aside and, and, you know what I mean, almost excommunicated. Josh can't play anymore. I mean, Josh is a nut. Put him in, a, put him in an insane asylum somewhere because you know how those nuts are. They'll, they'll I mean, they'll... they'll They'll do something crazy if you aren't careful. Well, all of a sudden, CBS, ABC, NBC, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Wall Street, uh, excuse me, Washington Post, and they don't get to dominate who hears what, what, what you can believe in or not. So Josh says on Twitter one day, hey, man, if we aren't careful, Biden may federalize the National Guard. And Dave Baker says, Josh, I think you're right. I think you're onto something. And then all of a sudden, I retweet that. Next thing you know, Josh realizes, I realize, Rev realizes, a lot of you realize, our opinions aren't that crazy. I mean, a lot of people believe this. A lot of people suspect that Biden would do 
anything to maintain, you know, power and preserve that integrity that we're talking about. But, but you know, the central theme of where we find ourselves today is the establishment. I mean, we can call it whatever you'd like, the ruling class, the cathedral, the establishment, the elites, uh, the power brokers, the, the mega donors. I mean, it, it, it's a small universe of people who have amassed enormous influence over our government and they control the message. I mean, they've done a great job of controlling the message. And I would argue, Rev, they control the message by buying ads. I mean, that, that's how you do that. I mean, brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by BlackRock, brought to you by Vanguard. I mean, how many shows do you see now where they're not sponsored by Pfizer or Vanguard or BlackRock or one of these companies that have been a part of massing so much influence? Well, all of a sudden, yeah, free speech absolutist says, I'm not going to tell these millions and millions and millions and millions of people what to say or not to say. And we begin to realize, wow, there's more people out there like me than I ever imagined there was. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hi, you're on. Yeah, on the border, I think, you know, one person's bottom of the food chain might be another person's top of the food chain. I think about, Ken, you've been through this state, poultry processing. You're taking feathers to the fillet, uh, pork processing, uh, just the raw farm labor, picking strawberries, watermelons, oranges. These are the things our great-grandparents did for themselves, and that's why they had so many kids. But I guess these liberals, they say these folks are escaping climate change and gains and government oppression. And I always ask uh, not who, but why. Why are they coming here? And I find it ironic that the citizens of these sanctuary cities they talk, they're complaining. They're talking about, man, these people are taking away from my free program. So uh, we can't have that. But, Ken, you had Andre on there yesterday. I, my question for you, who would have won the Assembly Street Grand Prix, you or Andre? Oh, me, without question. Andre's not driven on enough dirt roads to beat me. <laughs> well, I didn't say now Pamplico Grand. I said Assembly Street, but. I'm going to give that man credit. He was only, uh, he was a Republican, I call it foil, on the CNN panel. So he was in the belly of the beast. I would love to talk to him about that. And he was talking about that AI technology. And I don't, I'm sure Dave, you, Dave, you remember that Minority Report movie? They were talking about that. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm saying, I'm, well, I don't, you saw, you see the movie, Ken? I have not. You have not. I'm sure Dave or, or, or John, but... I mean, I'm too busy watching about... women's basketball to watch movies. <laughs> well, he probably had a poodle by him watching the doggone basketball game, but... I, well, here, y'all watch that movie. It was Tom Cruise's movie. I think Spielberg was the director, but you're talking about scanning eyeballs, uh, uh, these cars that drive by themselves, and this and that. And I tell you, Ken, when it comes to, you know, to putting chips in my body or something, and, and here's the sad part. I'll leave it at this. Think about forcing a vaccine on somebody. And I give No Shot Josh credit on that, but y'all need to watch that movie. Uh, it, it's it's a good movie, but it, it just shows you the future and the AI technology. And I think the, he said the Chinese call it Skynet after that Terminator movie. I mean, these folks, uh, they've got a master plan. So y'all have a good, good weekend. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Same to you. 843 661 0937. Josh, put us in queue. We'll do it live. I know we're, we normally test this to make sure it works like it's supposed to. I got faith in you and the equipment. Um, here's about two minutes from Ron DeSantis. And I think Evan Brown referred to this. And this is um, 
I mean, this is a this is DeSantis at his best. As a presidential candidate, we never saw Ron DeSantis at his best. As Florida governor, he's hardly not at his best. Let's go to uh, to Ron DeSantis. Ready, Josh? Biden is going after Texas, saying that they must remove fortifications from their border. They put wire, they put things to keep people out. Uh, Biden saying you got to take that down to let people come in illegally, which is just crazy. And I remark that if the Constitution was originally understood to mean that a state could not protect itself against an invasion, if the federal government could force a state to allow an invasion, the Constitution would have never been ratified in the first place. Texas would have never joined the Union when it did. Uh, and if you look at Federalist 46, which uh, uh, Daniel Horowitz pointed out, uh, James Madison talks about uh, situations where federal encroachment can be mitigated uh, by by state action. So you have Texas here uh, that's holding its ground. They have every right to fortify the border vis-a-vis -vis an invasion, and that's Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution. Uh, so, so they're in the right. You also have a situation where liberal jurisdictions over many, many years have been sanctuary jurisdictions against enforcing federal immigration law. So you'll have somebody who's a criminal alien, they will not be given uh, over to ICE, and they will deliberately act to frustrate the laws on the books, and somehow that's viewed as okay. You have Texas who's acting to enforce the laws on the books, to ensure that they have a secure state and that we have a secure country. Uh, so, so all of this is just nonsense what Biden's doing. Uh, Texas has every right to stand its ground. We've in Florida, we've been sending people to help uh, for, for many years now because we understand it's not just a Texas issue, it's ultimately an American issue. And if we don't have sovereignty in this country, uh, then we're not gonna be a country anymore. So, so they have every right to hold their ground, uh, to stay, stay the course, and Florida will continue to be there uh, helping out every step of the way. So, so let's go down the weird path. Is the federal government willing to declare in some way, shape, or form, and, and yes, I'm being a bit provocative here, is the federal government willing to declare war on half the country? I mean, there are 26 governors that have sided with Governor Abbott in Texas that will send National Guardsmen, will send whatever reinforcements, supplies, support, whatever. I mean, you call me and I'm there. Uh, I don't have any idea what Henry McMaster has in mind when he says I'll stand with Governor Abbott. If Abbott called and said, Henry, I need 500 of your National Guardsmen, 100 of your, your National Guardsmen, does he send them there? I mean, is the Biden administration willing to go that far down the road in not defending our border? That's kind of the fundamental question. How willing is Joe Biden to go, or how far is he willing to go in not securing our border? Is Biden willing to take on 26 states in America trying to secure our border by not trying to secure our border? I mean, that's, just, that's the, the argument we're making here, and DeSantis just sounds so much more comfortable being a governor. I mean, talking about states' issues and quote the Federalist Papers and, and what Madison, there is no way that Texas would have ever joined the union if you had said, look, I mean, if something ever happens and, and you feel obligated to secure your border and we don't think you're doing it the way it should be done, we're going to come down here and undo whatever it is you guys to try to do. I mean, there's no way South Carolina would have signed up to that. I mean, you, you know, the, the states have always had, I think, and I think the Federalist Papers makes it clear, the states have always had the authority 
to do what they think is in their best interest when the federal government neglects that responsibility and obligation. And the Constitution makes that their responsibility. So Biden is not following the Constitution. Half the country believe he's not. And Biden's willing to take on half the country by not securing the border. I mean, that, that's just bizarre to me, but that's where uh, the political left finds itself. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. I was, was going to say that. I mean, he's already proven he will insult and demonize about half the country in these speeches, the ultra MAGA, you know, with the big red ominous background sets and everything behind him. So he's proven he has no problem with but, taking but, on half the country and, and insulting them. But rhetorically, you would agree that's rhetoric. Of course it is. This isn't rhetoric. And that's why I'm intrigued by a majority of the states. I mean, that is a real standoff. Big it time. Could, could be. I mean, this isn't rhetoric. My rhetoric versus your rhetoric. My, my, my political speech versus your political speech. These are real men with real guns giving real orders in contrast to one another. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Billy in Florence. Hi, Billy. You're on. Hey, good morning, guys. I think you, uh, you're you right on something there, uh, Ken. And, and uh, I don't even think Biden knows what's going on at the border. Let's face the facts here. Or his handlers don't understand what's going on. And I'm afraid that it's going to take something drastic to happen before somebody really steps in and, and, and takes charge. But uh, let's be face the facts. He doesn't know what's going on. I mean, his dimension is so so settled in now that uh, he, he doesn't even know where he's at. So anyway, uh, I'll hang up and uh, appreciate the guys uh, with the show. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. Um, I mean, if you want to carry this out to the extreme, let's say we do have, I mean, I was being a bit flippant talking about a good old Texas standoff. But I mean, imagine you've got an armed human being lot more likely than not a dude, uh, another armed human being, more than likely a dude. One is on the side of securing the border via the, ah, the Texas governor's directions, orders, and edicts. The other is a federal government agent. And I mean, what happens if it gets to that point? I mean, it, it, it's, it's not the schoolyard where, you know, bad man passed the first lick. I mean, this is serious business. And, and, I, and I just believe this, Josh. I mean, I know we talked three days about it, but I believe these are reflections of a, a very unstable country. The instability, the, the, the unpredictability, the, the normalizing of the abnormal is where we find ourselves. And I don't think Trump's to blame for that. I think, once again, I mean, the word I always, Trump is a manifestation of all this. He's a symbol of all this. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's an odd symbol. I mean, you're talking about the working class believe that you know, the world passed them by and the, and, and some of the, um, the managerial class that have their best interests at heart. I mean, you would expect them to find a more likely Pied Piper or Robin Hood, but they went off and found somebody who looks more like them than he does us. You, you see where I'm headed? But, but, but I think we're in an elongated period of time where these unstable moments are going to be more and more frequent. And we're going to kind of cross our fingers and hope that we don't have, you know, an, another Boston massacre or, or some like some powder keg event that kind of sets off a lot of other. I'm not advocating violence. I mean, I'm not. I would never do that. Please understand, I am not advocating in any way, shape, or form violence. But we're setting ourselves up. We're making it more likely that something like that happens 
when the federal government orders people to do X and a big state like Texas orders their people to do Y, I mean, who's going to be surprised if we don't have some sort of violent engagement? I mean, I'd be more surprised if we don't have a violent engagement. Will fellow American fire on fellow American in the name of, you know, states' rights or an encroachment of the federal government, their interpretation of the Constitution? I know what people are thinking. That's crazy. It's not crazy at all. I mean, it's not crazy at all to talk about federalizing the National Guard and a governor of a big state saying this thing. I mean, it, 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 that's not, I mean, it really and truly is probably more crazy to believe that it'll come off with, with nothing like that happening. And, and I just think it's a symptom of where our country finds itself in a very, very unstable place. I completely agree. And I do want to say, I think that if anyone is listening who has this mindset of we need to like fight the other side physically in an actual battle with guns and stuff, that is not the answer because at this point in time, we would lose. The federal government would destroy us. The and and I don't think it. it it's Josh good is basically effort. saying if we had more guns, yeah, yeah. let's do it. He said, "Here's the That's reason." That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> here's the reason. Because here's here's what I think needs to happen. It's a good idea. We, we need. Get That's what he's saying. It's we a good need idea. to get more divided because the Democrats. If Biden came out and said, "You know what, J six wasn't as bad as the media is saying," these people they were upset. Let's heal the nation. Let's let them out. Let's be serious now. A lot of people would. I would be okay with that. I mean, I wouldn't fall for it, but I would say, hey, that's probably what need that was a good thing. But they're not doing that. They are doubling down because they are afraid. So if if someone goes out there, a conservative goes up out there and starts shooting guns, then that gives them the excuse they need to just kill us all. Eight four three six six one oh nine three seven. And Biden has number- addressed that before. He said if you're gonna take on the government, you need F sixteen. Yeah. Well I mean he's Josh basically said Taking on the federal government is not a good idea right now because they've got all the guns. They got the bigger guns. They got the stronger guns. They got the weapons. You know, let's not do that. What would they do? Nuclear attack South Carolina, Texas, and Alabama? I don't think so. Well, I mean, you see where I'm headed. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're talking far fetched craziness um, now. It's near the end of our week, it's near the end of the show. It's time to make sure we take care of our good sponsors and good partner at Pepsi of Florence. Um, this has been a one Celsius morning, but two cups of coffee today. Um, I read a lot about Celsius last night about metabolism and energy. And I mean, I don't know why. I was just trying to understand it's too bad, it's three bad, it's you too had, good, it's you three had time good. You to do that while you were watching Gamecock women's basketball? Yeah, watching the girls not jump, but reach high. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Pepsi's been real kind, very supportive of our feeble attempt at radio. Um, so here's the question. We're talking about Texas. I was thinking about LBJ as George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush kind of led me down the road of, and here's our trivia question. Correct answer, six pack of Pepsi product, a couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's t-shirts. Here's the, the question. What is the, what state is the birthplace for more U.S. presidents than any other state? What state is the birthplace of more American presidents than any other state. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Hi, you are on the air. What's your answer? Yeah, I just want to ask Ken something about Nikki Haley. Yeah, we're doing the trivia. 843-661-0937. What state is the birthplace of more American presidents than any other state? Hi, you're on. What's your answer? 
Ohio? Nope, that's close. But no cigar. 843-661-09. Why did I insult the caller like that? Good try. Try again. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for calling. <laughs> Hi, you're on. What's your guess? Illinois. Nope, not Illinois. 843-661-0937. You are on the air. What's your guess? Virginia. Didn't hear you. Virginia. You're right. Eight presidents were born in Virginia. Who is this and where are you calling from? This is uh, Pat from Florence. Okay, Pat, sit tight. We'll get your information. I'll get you back to Josh. He'll get your information. And you are the uh, the winner of today's trivia sponsored by Pepsi uh, Florence. we got a stack full of Diet Pepsi and Pepsi and Mountain Dew and Diet Mountain Dew and some T-shirts out back waiting on you. I uh, got big letters on the back. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. I think the the, the first call had gotten kind of intertangled. Yeah, I think he was calling to uh, get on the air. Entangled or intertwined. I mean, why do we need both words? <laughs> Aren't going to be intertangled. Right. Um, yeah. There you go. That's entangled and intertwined. We apologize to that caller. Wanted to ask something about um, Governor Haley. I don't know. I mean, I'll answer that. I don't know what the question is, but I don't <laughs> We'll have I don't plenty know of the time answer. to talk about that. We will. Sure. We, we've got about two and a half weeks to kind of get ready for the South Carolina primary. It's going to be a big deal. I mean, and I'm kind of glad. I mean, I, you know, I'd, the RNC or, or Trump basically said yesterday, you know, pull that resolution. I mean, I don't want to be the presumptive nominee. I mean, let's have this campaign. I thought that was a pretty decent measured response from him. Well, I mean, I think he saw some of the pushback. I mean, I'm, you know, who wouldn't want to be in on the fix if the fix is in? I mean, we're right. all creatures of, of comfort. So, yeah, I mean, let's. He said, no, I've got to earn this. Well, I mean, yeah, the old fashioned and, way. and that's the right thing to say. And I think it, it, it allows the Republican Party to heal to some degree. And I don't know what to what degree. I mean, there's some of the never Trumpers. I'm convinced that for whatever their, their feelings are hurt. I mean, they, they talk, call themselves ideological movement conservatives. I must have missed that movement. I mean, I really must have missed that movement because I've heard a lot of these anti or never Trumpers say, I am a movement conservative. Well, I mean, if you believe the country's moved in a conservative direction in the last 40 years, you've lived in a different America than I have, or you have a different definition of conservatism than I do. This country has moved radically to the left, and I think America firsters are a movement, the only movement in American politics today that I think can uh, confront the radical left and its movement is America Firsters. Kind of a return to, I don't know, some of the principled order that the majority of us devote ourselves to and, uh, and live our lives by. Thanks to Pepsi. Thanks to you. We'll be back Monday morning, uh, hopefully better than ever, but probably not. Enjoy your weekend.